0: This is Robbie Martin. In this episode, we're going to be discussing some pretty graphic and traumatic stuff involving childhood sexual abuse. So we just wanted to start this episode with a trigger warning and a resource uh, for people out there still struggling with this. The National Sexual Assault Hotline is available 24 hours a day. That phone number is 1-800-656-4673 and just so you're aware our discussion around these issues does not start until 33 minutes into the podcast
1: Welcome to Media Roots Radio this is Abby Martin
0: and This is Robbie Martin welcome everybody
1: Welcome everyone I hope everyone was able to go out to a solidarity demonstration for standing against the Venezuela coup sanctions and impending war in Latin America from the Trump regime Um, There was a beautiful action that happened in D.C. This last weekend, thousands of people showed up. It was an incredible sight to behold uh, of thousands of people just taking over the streets, marching in solidarity with uh, the Bolivarian Revolution and against U.S. imperialism. And I was able to go to a solidarity action here in Los Angeles that was really, really um, empowering and inspiring. Tons of people came, I would say a couple hundred. Um, Of course, you had a couple counter demonstrators which was interesting because kind of similarly to what the characteristics are of the opposition in Venezuela here it was pretty interesting to see the counter demonstrators were all wearing MAGA hats (laughs) and holding Venezuelan flags and just screaming racial slurs Um, it was just very very telling and really interesting Robbie is when we left we, we did a big march to City Hall and when we left some of the counter demonstrators were still hanging around and CNN came and interviewed them. Cool. Instead of the hundreds of people who were there for the action.
0: That's pretty, very awesome.
1: cool. Very, very cool.
0: And I'm sure that you were in a crowd with a lot of conservative anti-war people. Cause you know, as we've been told by a lot of phony progressive bloggers and, and clickbait artists that conservatives are good on anti-war now. Um, so I'm sure that about, you know, wouldn't you say there's about 50% of the demographic in the protest <laughs> on the ground were right-wing, anti-war people?
1: Unfortunately not, because the anti-war current of libertarian slash right-wingers um, stops when it comes to solidarity with socialist countries. So unfortunately, that uh, ends, I think, with Syria. Yeah, so you didn't actually see many, actually none, that I uh, knew of. Okay. Uh, it was pretty unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I mean... Because, you know, we've been we've been told uh, by a lot of people, um, there was even an interesting, bizarre blog posting about our podcast where we revealed all of Tucker Carlson's, you know, Venezuela coup pushing, that the right is really good on anti-war, and, you know, people like us on the left who are refusing to have a solidarity movement with this right wing are basically a part of the problem. Um, and I find that interesting because on every instance of, you know, these so-called... I'm not even talking about libertarian paleo-conservatives like Phil Giraldi and, and people like Ron Paul and Daniel McAdams. I'm not even including them. I'm talking about people like Tucker Carlson who have been hoisted up as anti-war. And it's interesting because we're told, you know, we should work with these people because there's such a growing sentiment among the right where they are anti-war. But yet, time and time again, when those people reveal why they they claim they're anti-war, which is really a false premise in and of itself. It comes down to reasons of they don't want us to spend money in these other countries. And they always use this bizarre, like, fake talking point where they're like, why can't we make America great again? Like, why can't we make our country great again? Even though those same conservatives aren't for social welfare, aren't for public um, construction projects, aren't for things like, like that. Anyways, but... Tucker Carlson was attacked, sort of a multi-pronged attack by Media Matters, um, which is an organization that is partly run by, by spinster David Brock, who used to be a conservative himself, um, who tried to ruin Anita Hill and other people, and even spread Vince Foster conspiracies. He's now on the other side, and now their organization is trying to get Tucker Carlson basically removed from Fox News by digging up old clips of him making very disparaging comments about women, promoting child sex abuse, acting like it's not a big deal. But to me, the best part of those recordings that came out should really put the kibosh on anyone still out there promoting Tucker Carlson as this anti-neocon, anti-war figure, which he goes into the Iraq war on this old radio show, Bubba the Love Sponge, uh, from 2009, saying that Iraqis are primitive monkeys, um, and this is the guy who should, now...
1: sh- who should shut up and obey
0: us. Yeah, who should shut up and obey us. So this is the guy now who's claiming to be anti the D.C. elites, you know, anti Bill Crystal. Why are all these elites trying to get us to go to war? You know, he talks about the deep state. And yet he is here saying things on the radio that were actually like more disgusting and more Islamophobic than even like David Frum, Don Kagan. I mean, some of the worst of the worst neocons I included in my documentary. So don't fucking tell me that Tucker Carlson is anti-neocon. The only honest thing you can say at this point is that Tucker Carlson rebranded himself out of being a bloodthirsty warmonger psychopath successfully, whereas Bill Kristol and these other people did it less successfully. Like, a lot of people don't buy their rebranding. You know, a lot of more savvy people don't buy it. But for some reason, a lot of people buy Tucker's rebranding. And I find that very interesting. Is it just because he's been more savvy at doing it. Like he's hoodwinked more people. So I guess at this point, I'm just drawing a line where, you know, not that I already drew this line, but at this point, it's like more serious than ever that if you promote Tucker Carlson as an anti-war figure, you are deliberately poisoning the well at this point. There is no excuse in the world for you to be promoting him Unless you're only promoting him by saying, hey, look at this ex-neocon piece of shit who used to work for Bill Crystal pretending like he's anti-war now. Or saying, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Tucker saying something right for once on Syria in between dozens of r- racist rants.
1: Well, this kind of came at a beautiful timing because of what you had just done, which you articulated very clearly that he was not indeed anti-war and that, you know, all of his kind of grotesque propaganda framework for laying the ground for war in Venezuela, right, and regime change in Venezuela. And that was really amazing. Very astute. Uh, You put that out there maybe a couple weeks before this was all outed, which really just blew the lid off this whole argument. And Eon Higgins uh, wrote a great article for alternate, I'm reading it right now. It says, Whatever Carlson's real views on war and empire, the genesis of his alleged anti war bona fides does not appear to be based in anything close to liberal or left principles. I mean, it's sad that you even have to say that, but a lot, again, like you're saying, a lot of leftists and liberals, even like Rokana and others, have given much more leeway to neocons like tucker carlson are quote-unquote former neocons like tucker carlson than they have leftists and liberals oh my um, god it seems dude, like there's much more of a purity test on people like aoc than there is tucker fucking carlson um but before you you interject i just wanted to quote him one more time he says you know i'm not defending the war in any way but i just have zero sympathy for them or their culture, Tucker said, of Iraqis. A culture where people just don't use toilet paper or forks. Hmm, does that sound like Ben Shapiro talking about how Arabs love to live in sewage?
0: You know, I'm not defending the war in any way, but I just have zero sympathy for them or their culture. A culture where people just don't use toilet paper or forks. Hey, I mean, gonna, just, I mean, I, I, and the way they treat women, they want nothing more than the Americans off of their soil, so they're yeah, not going to play games. Second we, I mean, they can just shut the fuck
2: up and obey, is my
0: view. And... <laughs> be a great thing. How can it turn out to be great? How <laughs> could you salvage Iraq at this point? I don't, you know, it's beyond our control. I mean, if somehow the Iraqis decided to behave
2: like human beings or something. No, I see, mean, Iraq is a crappy place filled with a bunch of, you know, yeah.
3: semi-literate keep primitive buried, monkeys. Keep That's why it wasn't working many...
1: And he says if somehow the Iraqis decided to behave like human beings or something, maybe it, it can be salvaged. Wow. What an arrogant
0: psychopath. What a fucking vile disgusting human being and you know what it's even more disgusting and vile to me because now he's pretending to be against this stuff now he's pretending to be sort of morally correct on these issues which i'm sorry but for someone who tries to pose as like something that they're not and they echo the sentiments that i hold in my heart for clicks for ratings for right populism boosts, for whatever he's trying to get out of it it makes me more upset and more angry towards that whatever that person's doing because they are posing as something that they're not so that's that's sort of how i'm you know looking at things right now that when someone's posing as an anti neocon on television i'm going to really scrutinize that person and see if they're legit or not and it's well, very obvious that tucker is not yeah. legit
1: well especially when they've been fostering islamophobia that is facilitating hate crimes and and like attacks and massacres i mean he you know especially calling iraqis primitive monkeys i mean there is no separation between his you know anti-neocon alleged anti-neocon views and like his rampant islamophobia i mean it does not come from some good place so again it's rebranding for the sake of rebranding just like bill crystal rebranding himself does not mean that he all of a sudden is not racist or islamophobic um so we just can't forget what these people have done to sow the seeds for things like the Christchurch massacre that just happened in New Zealand.
0: No, I mean, and this is exactly, this is why I think I wanted to start the podcast with this this way, because if you have aided or helped in any way demonize Muslims and used your platform to demonize Islam, Muslims, Arabs in general, you are an enemy of what Abby and I are trying to do. With mm-hmm. the empire files, with media roots, everything we try to do, every bone in our body, there is no wiggle room about this. There is no building a consensus with people on the right who are anti-war, who are also Islamophobic. The two are fucking incompatible. The two are incompatible. You cannot be anti-war for moral reasons and also be Islamophobic and hate Muslims. Right. So <laughs> let's Robbie, just get that Dave out of the Ruben's, fucking way.
1: Dave Rubin says Islamophobia isn't a thing.
0: These people are disgusting monsters. All of them: Sam <laughs> Harris, Jack Posobiec, Mike Cernovich, every one of these people. And I'm not—I'm not making excuses or not including people like Obama and Hillary and all these people taking this moral stand now and acting like they're so upset at this shooting when they were—they had a role in murdering hundreds and thousands of Muslims. Right. These, these people are disgusting. They are complicit in a post-9/11 manufactured campaign to dehumanize billions of people across the world for geopolitical ends. And I, there is no excuse making for it. And I'm actually, I'm really happy someone like Judge Janine actually got kicked off of Fox News for making it, going on a bigoted rant against Ilhan Omar about her That's hijab. That's shocking. She and got kicked off? So far she's gone. Wow. And I, it's very surprising actually. Um, but she is a disgusting neocon monster, and I'm glad she's gone. And not to say that she's the only one at Fox News who is. All of those people should not have a platform.
1: Of course, Fox News is, I mean, it's so beyond even a propaganda network. It's, it is, like, responsible in part for any sort of crimes against Muslims at this point. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you
0: can, that is one thing exclusive to Fox News. And it's, I'm not saying other networks haven't pushed Islamophobia, but that's Fox News is bread and fucking butter. So if you want to mm-hmm. sit here and talk about how all these other networks are fake news and Fox News is actually better than them because they're not obsessed with Russiagate, it's, you're really, you, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you've really like let yourself be fucking like manipulated by like right wing propaganda. If you have that high of a tolerance for like Islamophobia and racism, we can actually say Fox news is somehow good and CNN is bad. Then something is fundamentally wrong with you and you've been brainwashed. I mean, Trump just one more thing about judge Jeanine is Trump actually went on Twitter and whined for hours, multiple tweets with his along with his whole family about we need to bring judge Jeanine back
1: ah uh, what yeah holy shit
0: yeah yeah oh and tucker wow. he's mad that t- they're trying to ruin tucker too so i just I, I just find it absolutely horrifying and disgusting that there's anyone on the left who would be promoting or protecting tucker carlson he's being promoted by the president of the united states jack Posobiec was retweeted by the president of the united states yesterday and you're still trotting him out as an anti-establishment figure we are change still promotes him and Cernovich. It's like, you
1: guys disgust me. Why are you doing this? You're fucked. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the line was drawn in the sand quite a while ago. And those figures that were calling for this kind of faux alliance with the right wing because of their quote unquote anti interventionism. And I mean, it, it, it's been, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but it's like, it's just so crystallized now
3: mm-hmm. that
1: that is not real and that these people have fostered the exact same sentiments that are maintaining the U.S. empire and maintaining this this violence against Muslims, and I I find that repulsive. They're
0: infiltrators, just like Alex Jones in the past. These people are infiltrators, and they need to be called out, and they should not be promoted by people who hold progressive or left values who are anti-war. They really should not be, and you should really be careful who you promote out there.
1: So I had just interviewed Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. She's a famous indigenous historian who talks about the Second Amendment and white supremacy kind of rooted in settler colonial states. This is Australia. This is New Zealand. This is every kind of colonizing force that is rooted on white supremacy. And so it was just really interesting because in that interview with her, I was asking about um, about why don't we see mass shootings like in New Zealand and Australia? And she was like, well, we have in Australia. They immediately banned guns. And she's like, and the thing is, I mean, these are really kind of small enclaves of what America is in this expansive sense. And New Zealand certainly is rooted in the same kind of settler colonial mentality, the expulsion of uh, aboriginals, indigenous people, the taking of their land. And so it was really Shocking, but not shocking to see this, this massacre happen in Christchurch, New Zealand, where 50 people were mercilessly gunned down in what looked like a fucking Wolfenstein 3D like video game. Um, I mean, it was just absolutely horrifying. This guy put like a, a helmet cam on. Please don't watch it. It's, it's awful. I happened to come across the video mistakenly. I wasn't even trying to look for it. I was just looking at things on Twitter and I just saw it and it was really, really, really awful. Um, 50 people were gunned down in two mosques in Christchurch. The guy is a 28 year old Australian man. Um, He is a right wing extremist. He has this huge manifesto online, it goes into a whole bunch of crazy shit. And the thing is, um, it's exactly as Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz says. I mean, this is, this is something that's rooted in um, settler colonialism, white supremacy, but it's beyond that. It's kind of the rebranding of fascism because it's so new, but it's also old. Um, and so that's why it's so fascinating to see this guy kind of come to life like a f- 4chan what um, are these trolly like Reddit guys coming to life as a white supremacist mass shooter committing a massacre against Muslims when for the last two years when Trump won, we've been hearing from this exact same community of people. They're just trolling. They're not Nazis. How dare you call them that? Um, you're just making them become even more isolated, becoming more extreme because you keep calling them names. The white power symbol is really a troll to just fuck with people. Um, none of this is true. And so it's kind of this perfect coalescence or convergence of ideas where this guy is like the embodiment of all of these different kind of subcultures where he himself starts the massacre by saying subscribe to PewDiePie, you know, is is basically on Reddit or or 8chan or 4chan, one of these forums saying, I'm going to do this on Facebook Live. It's time that one of us actually do this and take action. Watch me here. Um, and then, of course, you know, flashing the white power symbol, the, the OK sign uh, the second that he's apprehended.
0: I think what people are missing largely is that both like both things are true. These people mm-hmm. are trolls, and they're also potentially violent, crazy people who are, some of them are very savvy people. They use, you know, I'm not saying it's requires savviness or intelligence to use like, um, ironic humor or memes or something, but they're not, you know, they're, so this guy, even saying, you know, subscribe to PewDiePie, I mean, and, and, and it, that's almost, uh, an extension to me of the white power, you know, okay, sign hand symbol. It's almost like he's trolling when he's saying that. But he's also but he's also saying that
1: before Muslims committing a said. real massacre. He <laughs> right.
0: apparently he was playing a song on the way to the mosque that was like something very popular in 4chan. It's like some meme. And so and people watching on Facebook Live were like, Holy shit, he's playing the something song. Oh my god. Like they were like all excited. Like he was referencing all these 4chan memes. The PewDiePie thing seems like the most overt one. And yeah, PewDiePie like is one of the most popular YouTube channels who has, like, gotten in hot water for being, like, you know, there's a lot of fans of the He said the
1: N-word several yeah, times. Yeah, like said the I mean, he's yeah. just like
0: a, he seems just like a casually racist guy. He subscribes, he, like, follows Jordan Peterson and stuff on Twitter. I don't really know much about him. I just know that for some reason the right has hoisted him up as, like, now he's, like, an important free speech figure or something because the right. left is trying to take him down. I don't even give a <laughs> fuck. He's, like, a Twitch streamer. He's like a fucking, like, all, like totally, like, fake YouTube celebrity that no, I mean, like, Logan Paul or whatever. To me, the thing that actually convinced me that this murder, and I hate to say it like this, was on some level a troll at the same time, was he said in his manifesto that Candace Owens radicalized him, which is wow. just simply not a believable statement. And I'm not saying that Candace Owens isn't a racist monster she is but it just seems on its face not believable like it's almost like he's trying to get the media to interpret the manifesto literally and to like inflate what he did into, uh, into some mythical level i'm not really sure what the purpose was.
1: But but that's what like Paul Joseph Watson is saying. He's like, oh, playing right into it. Like the media is playing right into it. It's like, well, why? Well, he committed a massacre and killed 50 Muslims that he called invaders. He did call Donald Trump his spiritual leader. Yeah. Um, And this was something that, you know, in his manifesto, he said that Donald Trump was a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose. I mean, so even though he was clearly like trolling, it's like we shouldn't, We shouldn't think like, oh, like them, you know, the media reporting on things that said that he was radicalized or inspired by, like, is playing into his intention because this happened. Like, this, we need to hold violence accountable. There was a massacre against Muslims. Like, all of these people are complicit who propagate Islamophobia. Candace Owens is certainly one of these people. Ben Shapiro is one of these people. Donald Trump is one of these people. So, yeah, I I found that odd that, um, Paul Joseph Watson and other people in this movement were like, Oh, anything that you take seriously from this guy is just playing into his manifesto. And it's like, but he fucking committed a massacre well, that's, against Muslims that he called invaders. That's
0: their attempt to cover up the whole thing. And they don't want anybody to reference manifesto. What I'm trying to say is that there were things in the manifesto that if you read the whole thing there, it was, it was, there were parts of it that were trolling and there were parts of it that weren't. And I think that it's very difficult to tell and oh and it doesn't matter because as you said, he did murder a bunch of people. So ultimately the manifesto's not as important as the murder, but like
4: mm-hmm.
0: I I think that he was trying to get the media to run rampant with certain, certain down certain avenues with things that he said in the like just let's just hone in on subscribe to pew pew D. Like why did he say that? Like Does he really follow him as as like a a figure that he looks up to, or is he trying to start a controversy? I think that specifically was he knows that there's already like you know people trying to protect PewDie, and it's become like a culture war issue. But did not he
1: just? Don't you think he was just trying to get cred from his little minions on 4chan and stuff? No, I think yeah, dude.
0: No, because I I think that. I mean, even the people on 4chan were like laughing about that part. Like they like if you read. There's a, there's a whole other layer to it, but I don't think that— I mean, ultimately, it's not taking away from the realness of it. That's what I was trying to say at the beginning. It's both a troll and deadly serious at the same time. There, it doesn't matter. It's not that trolling can lead to violence. It's like these people are—we're It's we're living in a new era. This is like people are killing people and being ironic while they're doing it. Right. That's the we, That's what I think is maybe hard for people to grasp. So mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not saying anything like what Paul Joseph Watson was saying. I mean, he was actually saying, "Don't spread this manifesto around. Don't reprint this because he doesn't. He doesn't want anybody to even believe that there are like white, you know, mur- mass right. murders out there have been inspired by anything Islamophobic. People like him put out. He doesn't want to take any responsibility for it. Ben Shapiro doesn't want to take... And we already know the Toronto mosque shooter was visiting Ben Shapiro's website more than any other, like, thing. That's that's already been proven by the court documents.
1: It's super interesting, too, because anyone who's been to New Zealand, I feel like there's more sheep than there are people. Like, there are, like, very little Muslim people there. I don't even... It's just so fascinating. So like this online culture war and this online trolling that goes along with the white supremacist renewal does not have borders. It is an international movement. It is is inspiring hate and murder all around the world. And it just happens to manifest better in countries that do have the same kind of history of settler colonialism. And I, I find that a new thing. Like, I don't know if that has happened before.
0: I'm, I mean, I, I don't know if it has either, but I'm frankly surprised something this, on this level hasn't happened here yet in the United States. Right. right. I mean, before Europe got you know got the bug of not to say that ISIS created all this Islamophobia in Europe, but it definitely like exacerbated it. I mean, it just it is surprising how much we've been indoctrinated about you know how scary Muslims are here, that something more serious hasn't happened. It's just strange, too, how it almost seems like this is more intense than it even was after 9-11 now, even though though there hasn't been any, quote-unquote, attacks on the scale of 9-11. I mean, why? that's one thing that confuses me, is why does it seem almost worse now? Is it because the right—part of me thinks that it's almost because the establishment right— has sort of moved away from Islamophobia and that it's given room to like the Breitbart, you know, these quote unquote fake anti-establishment, right? Like the Breitbart type thing to really seize on this fear of Islam and Muslims and to really run with it. And it's, and they've sort of taken the ball and made it much bigger than it would be if it just sort of went on its natural course. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean,
1: I mean, I really think it's Trump. It's the rise of the Trump phenomenon. Yeah. And it's the comfortability and um, confidence that you have as someone who is an Islamophobe now being protected by the state. And even though, you know, of course, you can argue that Obama was uh, also a rampant Islamophobe to justify, you know, drone bombing seven predominantly Muslim countries, et cetera, et cetera. but. The fact of the matter is like Trump is a very unique personality in that sense where I think he's offering a lot of comfort and um, a lot of intention behind Islamophobia in this country. And that's why we're seeing it completely like even more rampant than after 9-11. It's like just a level that is really surreal to see, especially when there is literally no threat And we are like two decades almost after 9-11. And to see this resurgence um, and the strength of it, it, it's really disturbing. It's really, really disturbing and sad. And um, I don't know where it's going to go because I feel like it's just going to get worse.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, luckily, there does seem to be some pushback from it, you know, I mean at least There seems to be A cultural shift I mean just the fact That Ilhan Omar Is even like In office right now Is really surprising That marks A you know Progress But It does seem to be Getting worse In other ways I mean This You know We can't forget That Trump Was the one Who Tried to put A Muslim ban In place That was conceptualized By PNAC Neocon Frank Gaffney Um we can't forget that Trump created a national controversy during his campaign by saying he saw thousands of Muslims cheering in New Jersey, I think, when the buildings fell on 9-11. Um, that was like a story for like a week. People were like, what is he talking about? Um, and he just got away with making that completely up out of his ass.
1: Or The birther stuff.
0: The birther stuff was very much designed to imply Obama was a Muslim, secret Muslim. And at a rally, there was an interesting clip circulating around recently that I remembered from his campaign. But at a rally, a guy goes off on the fact that Obama is a secret Muslim to Trump. And trump I guess Trump is like taking questions from the audience. And the guy ends the rant by saying, what are we going to do to get rid of these people? And the tone of the question he's asking Trump is not merely asking Trump to deport them or ban them. It's obvious from his language that what he's saying, asking Trump is how do we kill them all? And in this, and it's so crazy because in the same like rant, he mentions Obama being a secret Muslim.
2: Okay. This man, I like this guy.
1: White plains.
2: Amen. Okay. We have a problem in this country. It's called Muslims.
0: We know our current president is one. Right. You know he's not even an American. We need this, question. this man. Question. But anyway, we have training camps growing where they want to kill us. Mm-hmm. That's my question.
2: When can we get rid of it? We're going to be looking at a lot of different things. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that, and a lot of people are saying that bad things are happening out there. We're going to be looking at that and plenty of other things.
0: Like, that was his response to this guy going on, like, a bloodthirsty rant insinuating that all Muslims should be murdered. In this country, We
1: just have to shut it down until we figure out what the hell is going on. <laughs> I mean, so I, I
0: understand people's need to bring up the fact that all the liberals and the Democrats and the, and the people who propped up this war machine are part of this too and part of this Islamophobia also. But we also can't forget that Trump and the era that he brought forth and exact, I mean, he really did exacerbate the situation. Like you, I don't know if, how you could really argue against that. Like this is no, the president of the United States saying that we should do worse than waterboarding. We should we should be like ISIS, and he's and he's mainly you know and the it's not even
1: coded really. He's talking about Muslims doing this to brown people in the Middle East. Yeah, and how General Pershing dipped bullets in pig's blood, and then there was no more. Oh my God! Killings and and I mean he he he, he it goes so far. The rhetoric goes so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he seems to hate Arabs and Muslims pretty much more than any other race that he's racist against. Right.
1: I mean, it's, it really is a special level of racism that he has for Muslims. It, it, it educated his entire political worldview. Like, that's why he picked Bannon as his right-hand man initially. That's why he came to power politically based on a controversy calling Obama a Muslim, alleging that he was a Muslim. That's what informs him the most is his Islamophobia. So, Robbie, a lot of people are talking about this new documentary that was a joint production by Channel 4 and HBO, um, four hours long in its original form, called Leaving Neverland. This is about the child abuse allegations against Michael Jackson. Um, And before we get into the documentary, the nuts and bolts, and, you know, because it really is a rabbit hole, and I have not gone down a rabbit hole like this since 9-11, I think, but I just wanted to talk to you about... What your perception of Michael Jackson was before you saw this documentary, Um, because you were, you know, you're a man and you were a boy when Michael Jackson was in his godly form. Um, The late 80s, early 90s, he was a god. I, I cannot think of another entertainer or Hollywood personality that was more powerful and famous than Michael Jackson. He was in his own league And um, he shaped just so much and and influenced millions of people and has this kind of cult following of worshippers of his music and his persona. And um, so what do you remember about Michael Jackson growing up and what did you think about him before you saw this?
0: I mean, it's hard to separate Michael Jackson as a figure from just like all of my reality and memories as a child because... He was not just the most famous person in my lifetime and this this figure that eclipsed everything else, but he also was almost like a part of the cultural landscape in not just musically, but like in almost every way. I mean, Disneyland had Captain EO and I remember that being like a huge deal. The marketing that went behind that, the... The line, how long I had to wait to see it when I was a kid. I don't remember when it first opened, but I remember seeing it not long after it opened at Disneyland. And it was a really big deal um, when it came out. It was like, because you could only see it at Disneyland. There was really nothing else like that where they, where someone spent that much money. Apparently it was the most money um, for, the, for the running time ever spent on any film ever uh, for the time. I just remember being yeah just really impacted by him. I remember staying up late at night with uh you know with my best friend Tony uh, when I was a kid playing Moonwalker, the Genesis game you know where Michael Jackson throws magic, he kills enemies by making them dance with him, he saves children from cages. It, it was a really fun game. I remember even uh, Sega Genesis became packaged with it. When you would buy it at the store, it was like a bundled together, Michael Jackson Moonwalker with the Sega system. So, I mean, it was like ingrained in my childhood memories. And I remember even when the... I don't remember if I was aware of the first civil trial happening, but I remember by the time the second one came around, I remember watching that Martin Bashir documentary being very disturbed, but also still having, I guess what I would describe now is like a cognitive dissonance about it. Like, I wasn't sure if Michael Jackson had abused the boys. I wasn't sure if Michael Jackson was just, you know, maybe this mentally ill, really out-of-touch guy who didn't understand why this looked so bad, who was actually just innocent, or if he was a pedophile. I think i probably lean more towards the former at the time. Like, that's how accepting I guess I was of this indoctrination or this narrative that we basically essentially were fed um and I remember when he died feeling very very sad um it was like the day before my honeymoon um and we listened to Michael Jackson like in Hawaii on our honeymoon the whole time and I remember like feeling really emotional about it and just how you know what happened to him like why was he so depressed why did he get so hooked on drugs like you know just the tragedy of of this star who was so powerful who had fallen so far um and and, and I remember thinking you know he did seem like this kind soul who was something was wrong with him he had a really bad upbringing his father abused him so i remember like not really ever believing he was a like a monster or a predator, and it wasn't until I saw the Louis Theroux documentary, um, and I had was just randomly watching all of Louis Theroux's documentaries and came across his Michael Jackson one, and wasn't until that one that I actually believed that Michael Jackson's sexual preference was for young boys. And even at that time, when I watched that documentary, I still wasn't convinced that the actual allegations that came out about him were. True, but I thought that there was the truth lie somewhere in between. Like he might have been into teenage boys, or but it was maybe consensual. You know, like it wasn't necessarily like like a predator would abuse people. I didn't really know what to think, but I still was able to listen to his music. I still was able to feel sad about um, what happened to him. You know, the way his life ended so tragically, and I never really thought too much about these potential victims of his so i i guess i'm almost i feel really sad about that in a way that i bought into even after i saw this louis threw documentary it was convinced that he tried to get like a 13 year old boy to masturbate on the phone with him i was still convinced that you know he probably wasn't as big of a monster as the other narrative was saying he was so i don't know i mean so watching *Leaving Neverland*, I mean, do you want me to describe my experience watching well, *Leaving Neverland*? F- do you, you forgot—you
1: forgot a really important part, Robbie. Is that you did a mashup of Michael Jackson's songs with *Sonic the Hedgehog*? Even.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I was still, and this was actually right before he died. I was working on, yeah, doing mashups of. Um, he was supposed to make the music for *Sonic the Hedgehog* three for the Sega Genesis, and the project ended up falling through. But one of his songwriters at the time had already given permission to the Japanese team working on Sonic 3 to use some of those unused compositions. Now, what's bizarre is Michael Jackson, you know, I think he was kind of a plagiarist. Some of those melodies from those songs actually made it into other Michael Jackson songs, like just randomly, that weren't written by this guy. So that's a weird thing in and of itself. But anyways... Michael Jackson's a cappellas from various songs of his mm-hmm. with songs from Sonic 3 and they match up perfectly. That's how that's how much of a fan I still was of Michael Jackson like in I don't know 2010, 2011.
1: And before you get into what you experienced watching leaving Neverland, I just wanted to my my story is a lot more brief um, so I'll just get that out of the way. I always knew of course about the allegations. Uh, I knew that he had settled out of court. I knew that he was found not guilty at a trial, right? And so I guess I was able to completely shelve my feelings or perhaps question of whether or not there was guilt behind any of that. I was able to separate those and the possibility that he was guilty from my appreciation from his music. But again, I always felt sorry for him too. I looked at him as kind of a mirror. He kind of was a reflection of how fucked up our own society was. Like, he seemed like a product of what we forced him to be. Not we, the collective we. Like, how awful, you know, American society is and this material obsession and um, cultural depravity and stuff. Like, Michael Jackson seemed like this product of everything that was bad and that he was this poor soul who was a victim himself. And... um. And that was really interesting. I mean, even six months ago, Robbie, I went with mom to the Broad, this art museum in Los Angeles. And I remember posting a photo of Michael Jackson and Bubbles, this really cool statue that someone painted of him in in the museum. And I I didn't give it a second thought that, oh, but Michael Jackson has all these sexual assault allegations against him. No, it was completely separate for me. And I think that because he died so young, it halted all of that. And it mm-hmm. made him kind of this living God and, and people completely pocketed that that aspect of him and just, let's just look at him as a legend and you're stomping on a dead man's grave if you ever talk about anything other than his musical genius.
0: I think that speaks to the some cognitive dissonance, I mean, as well for you. And I think right. for most people even, I mean, I think most people, even after that second you know, the second accusations in the in the actual criminal trial came out still didn't think of Michael Jackson as a serial pedophile. Like as the primary thing you think about him, or always associated with your thoughts about him or his music. And I'm assuming you didn't either is kind of what you're
1: saying. No, no, no. Right. So
0: and maybe you know, maybe there were always some people who thought that. You know, after the Bashir documentary especially came out, which we'll talk about what came out in that. I mean I didn't really hear anything about Leaving Neverland. I vaguely heard that there was a documentary coming out about allegations against Michael Jackson, you know, molestation allegations. I randomly caught it on TV. It was already 20 minutes, 30 minutes into part one. Oh, wow. So I missed some context for it, but the documentary actually did such a good job of slowly building you up to what eventually happens. That I got enough of the context about it about Wade, Wade Robson, um, but I remember for the first ten minutes I was in I was experiencing some kind of disbelief, like processing confusion and thinking, "This is so over the top." <laughs> not that I thought that they were lying, but I was just having a hard time understanding what I was seeing. Right. These two men were so casually talking in graphic detail about the way Michael Jackson had sexually abused them that I was just a really jarring experience for me. And I was maybe kind of a little bit joking about it at first like as a almost like as a coping mechanism with Lori. And then like five minutes after kind of joking and la- like laughing or sort of trying to process what I was seeing, it was like dead silence. like I was completely immersed in the their story they were telling within maybe 20 minutes of watching it I was like oh my god this is all true and it's so much more so much worse than I previously thought it was like a, a paradigm shift almost
1: it really is that that's a perfect way to explain it and it I mean, the consequences and the implications of their testimony, because this goes so far beyond Michael Jackson, which we'll talk about. But I think that's why it was such a paradigm shift to me, too, because you realize what we were all groomed for accepting something that was so obvious. And also, like, the fact that we don't talk about these things. And because of toxic masculinity, like, kind of defining the patriarchy, we don't give men the room to explore abuse as much. And there is this kind of deep level of shame um, that hangs around men that I think is really unfortunate because that needs to be part of the conversation is is how rampant this is.
0: Well, I was just going to say, just to comment on what you just said, you also have to imagine back in the 80s and especially early 90s, coming out as a man saying you were sexually abused by an older man. Is basically there's a sort of a sexual confusion there, especially if part of you enjoyed it when you were a child. Right. right. And you're still processing that. A lot of people will think, does that make me gay? Right. Does that mean I'm sexually confused? Does that mean I've been lying to my wife about my sexual orientation? There's a lot of shit that comes up. So it's like much more difficult to, you know, for, for that reason. And then also, you know, it's it's uncomfortable to talk about this, but for young girls being sexually abused, it's commonly more painful. The, uh, young girls being abused by you know adults don't usually receive a pleasurable sexual response as easily as young boys do. So it's mm. often more confusing for young boys to go through that process. That That's really interesting. It's co- more common for a young boy to have a pleasurable sexual response to getting you know, their penis touch, for example, Mm -hmm, by like mm -hmm. an adult. And I think that that adds to the confusion. And what really struck me, I mean, what the part that really blew me away the most about this documentary is not just the fact that Wade Robson and the other victim, James Safechuck, said that what happened to them didn't feel like abuse at the time, and that it wasn't abrasive, it wasn't forceful. You know, that was surprising enough to hear such candid admissions about the way they felt about that. But the way that they detailed feeling like they were in love with Michael Jackson and that someday they were going to be together with him and that they felt like Michael Jackson loved them back up until their adulthood. They still felt these feelings
1: and they still are grappling with the fact that they do love him still and that they actually feel like, they're doing something wrong now by talking about it. They still guilt. grapple with that contradiction.
0: Yeah, James Safechuck, the the older victim, says that he, he felt a pang of guilt when the movie came out, thinking that he had tarnished or just wronged Michael. I mean, it's, it's yeah. absolutely fascinating. I mean, it is a part of sexual abuse that we do not... That society, I don't think, really understands and should be really educated about. You know, to understand why people suppress these things for so long. And I like that Wade Robeson said very early on, even before this movie came out, when he first went to, I think it was on the Today Show with Matt Lahr, who is also a sexual predator, by the way, who has been outed, <laughs> he said, this is not a case of repressed memory. Right. This is something much more complicated than that. I've always remembered what Michael right. did to me. Right. It's just only recently have I been able to come to terms with that it. it was very wrong. Like he didn't even realize that it negatively impacted him until his early thirties or something. You know, that's, well, let me
1: get this out of the way before, yeah. before we get more into this, let me just yeah, there's so much ground. what the documentary is. I mean, the documentary is absolutely imperative. It is a must watch documentary for every single person Not because it blows the lid off the Michael Jackson case, finally, but because it gives you such an important insight on grooming, on pedophilia, on child molestation and how these things work and and how they affect society and how they destroy families and lives. And I mean, it revolves around the grueling, heartfelt testimony of two men. Wade Robson, as my brother's talking about, who's 36 years old, and James Safechuck, who's 41. And their extended families, so their immediate and extended families. Um, You know, you mentioned that they, they kind of had casual reliving of, of these experiences I got that from Wade who seemed to retell things in a more clinical sense because I think he's a slightly more detached Yeah, James I didn't get that from I felt like he was suffering the entire time he was speaking his facial expressions his body language I mean it was it was so intense to watch him because you know that everything he says is fucking true. Like, yeah. I, you can't act like that. You cannot fucking act like that. And, and really quickly, the boys met Michael Jackson when they were very young, mid-80s. Robson was a, won a dance competition and went on to have this very high-profile career as this choreographer. And Jackson preyed on him when he won this dance competition as a Michael Jackson impersonator in Australia. In Australia, and and Safe Chuck on the other hand was cast in a Pepsi commercial opposite Jackson, and Jackson befriended them both. Soon started inviting them over for sleepovers, and you know the sexual abuse started when Robeson was just seven years old, lasted until he was fourteen, and Safe Chuck was ten. So just to give just to give people who haven't watched the documentary yet, just like what exactly we're talking about here.
0: Yeah, and I mean I feel like it's important to lay a little bit of like the chronology of how, just in Wade Robson's example, because they didn't give as much of a specific timeline about when James Safechuck was starting to be abused as they did for Wade. Right. So one of the most fascinating parts that came out of this documentary as well as, you know, and I think in a way, Michael Jackson being, you know, the case against Michael Jackson as being a serial pedophile is ranked maybe number three or four on the most interesting revelations to come out of this documentary, just on its face. But to me, there's more interesting things like the specific way in which Jackson groomed and sort of manipulated entire families in order to get them to let their children sleep with him and stay with him by the child's self. Like how he was able to get so many different families to agree to this. That to me was something that just gave me so much insight into how this might even be done. Everybody talks about this pedophile Hollywood conspiracy and, and you know, there's all this stuff that sort of poisoned the well of you know, of that, you know, now like with Pizzagate and stuff. But to me, this sort of gave an insight into how this might be done in general, like that parents are actually often the ones who, in essence, traffic their own children to Hollywood agents, agencies, film directors, whoever, talent agents. Like, I don't know, but it seems like Michael Jackson already knew about this technique and was aware of it and took it to its ultimate conclusion, did it to a fucking with an expertise unseen before I mean expert level manipulator and that's a side of Michael Jackson that I didn't even know about I mean I was completely unaware of his level of manipulation like I know he did fucked up weird things like like bought the Beatles catalog after Paul McCartney you know talked about that he wanted to buy some of it for himself or something and then he turned and, and betrayed Paul McCartney I mean he's done I heard about weird shit like that that he did that made him seem just really unethical and out of touch. But I didn't realize like how expert of a manipulator that he was and how he was able to convince entire families to let their guard down like that and to make the families feel like they had a special relationship with him as well. Random families like that never seemed to question why he would just be obsessed with their family. They never thought, well, he's just trying to do this to get to my kid. It's just
1: absolutely mind-blowing. At the same time, he's claiming that, you know, the rich and elite and powers that be were out to get him. Um, He pretended like the media was conspiring against him to make himself cultivate that like lonely persona. He had no friends. He can't relate to anyone. That's why he loves kids so much. Kids are everything to him. Kids inspire everything he does. Um, He literally says that
0: every all the music and dancing he does is inspired by children and for children.
1: Which is weird because there's so many sexualized things that he did. I mean, he invented the crotch grab, all these really sexualized dance moves. So that is also odd that he says that every single thing that he did was inspired by children. Like, why was everything so sexualized? I think it was an um,
0: inadvertent then, admission. I think that right? uh, that he was so... I mean, he was so compulsive and so um, had convinced himself what he was doing on some level was okay... That he let a lot of things slip, and I think that you know when he talks about when Martin Bashir asked him, "What it? What do you get out of this? Why do you hang out with children?" And he says that it's in the in children he sees the face of God. What? But Michael, you know you're a 44 year old man now. What? What do you get out of this?
3: What do you get out of this? Uh, of it. He's four. Yeah, I'm four. Uh, I love um I feel see, I think what they get from me, I get from them. I told I've said it many times. My greatest inspiration comes from kids. Every song I write, every dance I do, all the poetry I write is all inspired from that level of innocence, that consciousness of purity, and children have that. I see God in the face of children, and um man, uh, I just love being around that that all the time
0: and he sees their s their innocence their life force and it's yeah. almost like something like like a, a cla- in classic literature like a vampire an energy vampire or exactly
1: something. exactly that's what i was just gonna say he vampiristically is draining the children and he's actually admitting and energy. energy. Like he's he admits to everything, like literally every single interview that I've watched with him since watching this, he admits basically everything except molesting kids like nothing he says makes sense. He contradicts himself in every single interview and he seems completely insane, but not just some wacko jacko guy like this is someone who knew exactly what he was doing, but actually thought it was OK to the extent that he's almost admitting it. Yeah. You know, people have asked, why did the director leave in these horrifying graphic details of the sexual abuse? Um, That's what I've heard a lot of critics say, you know, these kids seem like they're lying. I've never heard abuse victims talk about abuse in such a sexual way that um, that doesn't hold up. But the director specifically said he wanted to show you to leave no ambiguity whatsoever that this is not just roughhousing or flirtation or just messing around it was actual sex that you would have with an adult with a seven-year-old child every single night that he took these kids on tour with him and convinced their parents to let him s- sleep with them for years alone behind closed doors and again he painted himself you know as loving kids Children were everything, but when you really go down to what he did, it was always kind of went down to one kid, one small boy that were essentially his boyfriends that he was parading around in front of everyone's faces for years and years.
0: Yeah, and he, I think even if you really pay specific attention to what kind of sex acts are described by both of these victims— It was very strategic and very savvy on a certain level as to hide evidence. Think about specifically what he did not do. He would finish himself off, they would say. Mm -hmm. So he did never try to like anally penetrate them except for Wade, like towards the very end of their relationship when he was 14. And then in that case, he actually got so paranoid. He made Wade destroy his underwear. He actually sent a car for him. Brought Wade to the studio, and, and, and Michael Jackson interrupted his studio time to come out and tell Wade, I need you to go find your underpants and like destroy them. He was strategic enough to do things that more or less would be plausible deniability. That's another thing I think that if you really look at what he did, like he was very strategic about all this. And he was also very strategic about the way that he would groom the children, basically make the kids feel like they were in love with him before he would actually move on to the sexual abuse. So that to him and to the child, it would, in, in that context of staying with the most famous childlike you know, person in the world, I'm in love with this person and he's making me feel good. And, and also Michael Jackson telling them, according to them, that God wants us to be together. This is how God wants us to show each other our love
1: society doesn't understand our relationship. We were brought together by God. This is something that, you know, people are too ignorant to understand. And you hear him express this in several interviews where he says, you're ignorant. Yeah. If you don't understand why I like to sleep in bed with the little boys behind locked doors, you're just ignorant. I mean,
0: it's absolutely incredible that when you really lay everything out, when you look at all the corroborated evidence, because I'm not going to sit here and say that Dan Reed, the filmmaker behind this, was a genius for figuring this out. This is all about these two kids' stories, Wade and James, and I think we owe it all to them for bringing this to light. The thing with Michael Jackson is that if you all the corroborating evidence, if you look back now after seeing this documentary, things that came out before that we didn't have other dots to connect to before, it's so obvious now that this was a full-on operation, that leaving Neverland itself... Was as Wade has actually said, it didn't? It's not in the documentary actually. That Neverland itself was a massive, well-funded, elaborate child sex trafficking operation, a front for a child sex trafficking ring, for Michael Jackson's personal pleasure. That's what it always was, and it's so obvious now looking back at it. And I'm not just talking about what it is, or because it's a theme park, or what it represents, or because it's made for kids, and it's like a, almost like a um. You know, a siren song for kids, just the specific all the specific things that went down there that we know about from before and now that we know about from Leaving Neverland. I mean, it's just so goddamn obvious.
1: I mean it and it, and it came from his overwhelming desire to sleep with kids. Um that's why he built up his brand the way he did. He had the movie theater, the game room, the Peter Pan-themed house. Everything was themed around Peter Pan, the Pied Piper leading kids away. Um, to this Neverland, to this this amazing um, theme park where you can be a kid forever. And once you go down the rabbit hole, you realize that you know everything that I thought before about his plastic surgery and this kind of victimhood that he painted himself um, with, it, it was actually, he was changing his identity physically to appear as a little child, I think. Um, the estrogen that he took to make his voice really high, he Allegedly. wanted to look like peter pan yeah we don't really wanted to look like peter pan
0: well do you know about the like some interesting debate about that whole estrogen chemical castration thing that was one of the things that came out really early on about him when there was allegations that he was gay that he's not gay that he just that his dad made him get chemically castrated to keep his voice eternally high so it was almost like one of the early iterations of like he's a victim He's not, like, this is actually, like, he's been victimized. This is why his voice is so high. This is why he seems so effeminate. It's almost like you have to wonder, was he cultivating that? Because there's evidence, I mean, there's been evidence out that he was engaging in sexual acts with children as early as 1979. You know, there's a history here that goes back very far. So you have to wonder how much of that whole image about him being this innocent, childlike person even down to the way he made himself look, was designed to feed into his main hobby, which was pedophilia. Because his main thing, I don't think, was music. I think it was no. having sexual relationships with children. And that's and, part of why his music mm-hmm. suffered so much, because like, he maybe at some point was more into music than doing this, but then it tipped over in the other direction, and it became all about that all about having sex with children and, and sleeping and with children.
1: Two comments on that. One is that um, after the first allegations went to trial, right, um, during this highly publicized trial where he, he inevitably was found not guilty, and that's not because there wasn't evidence, which we can talk about, but um, after that, if it was about him being an entertainer that was just opening his bed for children and this loving kind of asexual Peter Pan-like figure... At that point, his PR agency, his manager should have said, Michael, look, I get that you love kids, but you're going to be fucking framed again, right? If this is really a frame-up job about getting money from you, you cannot sleep with boys anymore. Like, period, end of story, don't do it. It's not worth the risk, right? He did it more after that. That's how overwhelming the desire was, is that it it actually went far beyond his um, job his career as an entertainer. That's what he wanted to do more so than that. And I think that's actually why he ended up killing himself with drugs because he was getting less desirable to to children. It wasn't working anymore. The persona of, you know, having all these kids from the 80s and 90s that worshipped him, that wasn't sticking anymore. He already had kind of the the slew of allegations. And I think that he honestly was facing the fact that he could not carry out the sex ring that he once did. And so what is life worth living? Robbie, he says many times, he says many times, I just want to read you a couple quotes. He says, if it weren't for children, I would choose death. Wow. If it weren't for children, I would choose death. And he said, getting old is the ugliest, most disgusting thing in the world. He has, he has
0: actually mentioned death multiple times when talking about, you know, when the idea of his love for children comes up. It's interesting. So another time during the Martin Bashir interview, and I think he even says it again in the Ed Bradley interview that followed up after the trial where he doubles down again about sleeping with kids in the interview, he says, I would slip my wrists. Before hurting a child, I would slip my wrist before hurting a child. I don't know any 45 year old men
3: who are not relatives of the children who share their bedroom with other children. Well, what's wrong with sharing your bed? I didn't say I slip in the bed, even if I did sleep in the bed, it's okay. I am not going to do anything sexual to a child. It's not where my heart is. I would slip my wrist first. I would never do anything like that. That's not Michael Jackson. I'm sorry. That's someone
0: else.
1: That's just such a... Yeah, because he doesn't, he doesn't think it's hurting them, Robbie. It's just
0: such a drastic and over-the-top hyperbolic thing to say. And then he'll also say, what's wrong with sleeping in? You know, them sleeping in my bed? If I was Jack the Ripper, then there'd be something wrong with them sleeping in my bed. But I'm not. The most loving thing to do is to share your bed with, with someone.
3: Yes. As we sit here today, Do you still think that it's acceptable to share your bed with children? Of course. Of course. Why not? If you're going to be a pedophile, if you're going to be Jack the Ripper, if you're going to be a murderer, it's not a good idea. That I'm not.
0: But the fact that he mentions Jack the Ripper is interesting, too. It's like, why is he mentioning a serial killer? Why not uh, someone who was like a um, child molester? Is it because to him... (laughs) What he's doing, he doesn't think it's actually that wrong. And by making the contrast between like someone like a serial murderer, it makes it it, it in his brain it makes it seem like this is not bad and that is. Because if he mentions like another sexual predator, it's almost like too close to what he's doing. I mean, it is what he's doing. Of course. So it's of an course. interesting distinction that he's making. And you have to wonder, like, why did people even let him talk to the press? His Melissa Lisa Marie Presley thing, that music video. Um where oh my he's God. Naked well, with first, her. Well first first
1: talk about well first explain the like the sham marriage and the I mean the context of the music video.
0: Well yeah, I mean I guess I kind of wanted to go back like
1: Okay, back, go back because I see his, the timeline right here. Yeah, just the timeline t- of just, his yeah. of
0: Michael Jackson's psychosexual fuckery, yeah. let's call it to be kind. According to many most of the family members Joe Jackson was extremely physically abusive. According to LaToya, he was sexually abusive. That's not been admitted to by any of the other family members. So there is obviously a cycle of abuse, whether it's sexual or physical, happening in the Jackson 5. I mean, just look at how fucking good of performers they were. I mean, the dad was responsible for that, apparently. Just cracking the whip, literally and figuratively, molding these kids into robots. I mean, that's what the Jackson five was during their touring and the Jackson five was touring and Michael Jackson, remember was the youngest of the family or the youngest boy in the family. um, It was here that Michael witnessed his older brothers fucking groupies. um, When Michael Jackson was like 10 years old, 11 years old, his brothers were kind of predatory also i mean not kind of predatory they were apparently spying on naked women they would drill peepholes into dressing rooms at clubs and nightclubs that they would perform at just so they could like look at the women changing in the other room and and michael would you know they would let michael join in on that as well and then another weird factoid that i found out is apparently they would jackson five would play in these like raunchy nightclubs sometimes like, to get money on the side when they would already do enough of their, like, regular gigs. And part of that act and the raunchier clubs they would perform at would be sending, like, the 11-year-old Michael Jackson into the audience to, like, sneak under women's skirts. And it would be, like, part of the stage show. And people in the audience would laugh about it or something. That's just a weird thing I'd never heard about before. So this is apparently all true. And... There's also some weird history with Michael Jackson and other child actors and actresses. There's a, in the mid-70s, a story came out uh, that 17-year-old Michael Jackson um, was in a relationship with 12-year-old actress Tatum O'Neill. Jackson has later claimed that she tried to seduce him when she was only 12 years old. It's sort of a weird story to tell to the press that a 12-year-old tried to seduce you kind of actually goes along the lines of a Nambla mentality, you know, that children have their own sexual agency and the child came on to me. But O'Neill is actually the one who claims Jackson tried to have sex with her when she was 12 years old, but she refused. Just another strange relationship in his history. And of course, in the Louis Theroux documentary, Terry George, the Scottish fan who went to see Michael Jackson performing um, in the late 70s, uh, who interviewed him, um, was immediately given Michael Jackson's personal phone number. Uh, I think Terry George was only 13 years old at the time. Terry George and Michael Jackson started a, a, a phone relationship um, in 1979. Michael Jackson, um, at that time, I think Michael Jackson was like 22, tried to get this 13-year-old boy, Scottish boy, in Scotland to masturbate with him over the phone.
2: He spoke about masturbation. About him masturbating. Did I masturbate? I never saw it coming. Um, it wasn't something I expected. It just came out of the blue, really. He said, "Would you believe that I'm doing it now?" And let me hear him on the telephone. I could hear it. And what did you think he meant by that? Well, I knew what he meant by that because he was talking about it. Was talking about masturbation. I did feel uncomfortable. I can remember feeling uncomfortable. I felt awkward. What are your thoughts when you put the phone down? I thought that I, I didn't react as he wanted me to react. And I thought that perhaps he would never call me again, or I wouldn't hear from him again. You know, in hindsight, looking back at it now, I know that that type of conversation probably should never have happened, you know, and it probably wasn't natural. Terry George says there were no more sexual conversations. In time, the two lost touch.
0: And Terry George never uh, said anything bad happened to him. Even when Louis Theroux brought it up in the documentary, he seemed like he was upset that, He was even being asked about it because he didn't think it was a big deal. He wished the press focused more on the other wonderful conversations he had with Michael, that he misses talking to Michael. So that was interesting because it almost, it's a kind of corroborating evidence that Wade and James are telling the truth because again, it reflects almost that he almost felt like he was in love with Michael, the loyalty. That he still feel, feels towards This is him.
1: really important. This is a very important point. Is that one of the... He's not even an accuser. because, no, he, Like you said, he defends. It leaked from a actually, friend of his. Right. So he told a friend that Michael Jackson had um, masturbated on the phone to him and wanted him to participate or whatever. What was he, 13 or something when yeah. it happened?
0: 1979, um, so, too.
1: Right. And he was very upset when Louis Theroux brought it up. He said, focus on the rest of the conversations that I had with him. And he was, I think he almost agreed to do the documentary with Louis Theroux because he wanted Michael to see that he still wanted him to come back. He was saying, I really wish that if Michael Jackson saw this, he would, you know, I really want him to get back in touch with me. I want to pick up where we left off. Let's continue our friendship. Um, That is the mentality, again, like you said, of Wade and James that they were struggling with for so long. It, they didn't see it as abuse. He clearly loved Michael Jackson, and he never accused him of of um, anything bad, you know? You and so Terry that George? right there, it's like, yeah, the, the, the fact that Terry George didn't actually accuse him of anything, yet he is admitting that this happened, but not claiming that it's abuse, speaks volumes about the allegations, I think.
0: Yeah, and then and then of course Louis Theroux, I think actually one of the smartest questions asked. It's kind of actually early Louis Theroux, so he does ask some kind of over-the-top questions like about Michael Jackson's nose and shit where I'm just like, dude, like you completely blew that. But he asked Terry George if like a 30 or a 20-year-old celebrity wanted to masturbate with your child on the phone, would that seem appropriate to you? And he's just like, no, it wouldn't be. He, I mean, he has to admit, you know, acknowledge that. It's just like, would you let your child sleep with a, you know, 30-year-old Michael Jackson? No, of course not. But I don't think you did it. It's this weird disconnect. It's like when you ask the question that way, of course it's not appropriate. But yet he's not bothered by it still to this day, into his adulthood. It is absolutely fascinating.
1: Well, that's that's the one the one thing that Dan Reed says, the director, um, he says, you know, the most extraordinary thing in all of this is that no one denies that Jackson took little boys to his bed night after night for many, many years. What did his family and business associates think he was doing with these little boys behind a locked door? Did they actually believe he was a child in the body of a man and therefore somehow needed to sleep with the little boys? Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense when you think about it for more than a second. But like you're saying, somehow, it that was him. He was like an aberration. He was an alien. It was like... Yeah, of course it makes no sense if you apply it in any practical reality to any other person or family structure. But because it was Michael Jackson, because he was this God among men, he somehow convinced everyone that he was this asexual being that really was a child in a man's body. Yet at the same time, he had sexual urges, clearly, that were with young, prepubescent boys. And he's telling almost the whole truth. The, the
0: grooming strategy, the image he projected, which is a grooming strategy, dialed in, about trying to say how much he loved children, trying to make families seem like there's a reason why he's at, you know inviting them there because he loves children so much. It's already known in society that he loves children. One of the other indisputable things, other than the fact that he let kids sleep in his bed night after night after night, and that he would so brazenly—I mean, he's basically admitting the truth when he says he loves children. He's just not Mm -hmm, saying that mm -hmm, he's also mm -hmm. sexually attracted to them. Right. I mean, to him, he does love children. The other indisputable fact—and this is something that Corey Feldman's actually said and why he thinks Michael Jackson harmed children, which is interesting— that he's admitted, even a long time ago, that he does think Michael Jackson was harmful to children. He just doesn't think they were physically abused. And here's what he said. This is from Wikipedia, actually. So I, I don't know how much of this I'm quoting from Wikipedia. Felbin admitted Jackson helped many children by becoming a friend and mentor. But Felbin said Jackson did more harm than good by dropping kids when he grew bored with them. The actor said he did real damage in my overall life. I was a 12 year old boy who was hurt by his family and ignored by people at school. Michael would sit and talk to me for hours and then he would listen. Then he would get bored the biggest thing that Michael Jackson's done to children is befriending the ones that are in need and then abandoning them.
1: That was his M.O. too. Yeah, that's what I think. That's
0: other indisputable evidence is that he would befriend children, be seen with them traveling all over the world in some cases, and then switch to a new child after like a year and a half and then drop that, you know, the previous child. What was that about? Did he only love
1: children of a certain age? And also, how weird was it that when he had his own kids, which is such a bizarre, uh, different situation, which is, you know, he had surrogates, none of the kids were really his, uh, allegedly, but yeah, when he had them, he shrouded them from the world. I mean, you see in this Martin Bashir documentary, he's trying to feed blanket a bottle and and it's insane I mean he's like yelling he's like I love you blanket and he's like shaking and the baby's screaming crying it's like he's never fed a baby before and he he boasts to Martin Bashir that they don't have mothers they don't need mothers and that he has taken the place of both mother and father and why should they need anyone else and clearly you know if he loves kids so much he's touring around the world with like what ended up obviously being his boyfriends at the time, but he claimed were just his friends, why is it that he hid his own children from the public view? He, you know, so he was juggling these two perceptions, where at, on one hand, he, was, he hated the media, he hated the spotlight, but on the other hand, he did proudly parade these boyfriends around, these young, prepubescent teens around the world, and put them in the limelight, put them in commercials, take photos of them, put them on the stage with him. But when it came to his own children, he didn't want them to be seen.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, it's so bizarre because it almost seems like the reason he even had children in the first place was to throw people off of the trail of the fact that he was a serial predator. I mean, it seems like everything he did, I mean, even as going back as far as the early 80s, I mean, just going back to the, the timeline really quickly, he went on a date with Brooke Shields. Apparently, even they were in a relationship where she was only 15 years old and he was of age. Which is just another bizarre thing that even like the beard relationships were like inappropriately young but most people remember one of the first big like heterosexual stunts michael jackson doing was bringing brooke shields to the grammy as his date but what most people don't remember is that at the same time he did that he was carrying webster from the tv show webster aka emmanuel lewis in one arm like he was carrying a child actor <laughs> um, and when Emmanuel wow. Lewis was asked in the 2000s if Ma- Michael Jackson abused him he said hell no but that's another question it's like people use that to debunk the things in Leaving Neverland is that Macaulay Culkin and Feldman and Emmanuel Lewis all say they weren't molested but did Michael Jackson molest all the
1: children he spent time with? Right it's like the Harvey Weinstein argument it's like well yeah. here's all the women I didn't rape
0: If he, and also if he was this strategic about everything not you know, leaving like DNA evidence, even when he would molest kids. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. I'm that's m- me saying that myself. That's not alleged in the documentary. But if he was this strategic about everything else and built a theme park to attract children, I mean, maybe he was smart enough not to molest the really famous child stars. Right. You know. Right. Even even just so that later on, if he was even contacting James and Wade, as Leaving Neverland reveals into their adulthood to coach them on what to say at these trials to defend him. That's a really strategic long-term plan. So why wouldn't he think that Macaulay Colkin, and Feldman would be like good evidence for him later on in case any allegations came out? He must have known on some level all the shit was going to come out. I I just, it's like, how could it not? He was doing it so rapidly.
1: That's how out of control it was. I mean, that's how much he he had to do it, you know? Yeah. And, and you mentioned before that Robeson talks about how he was in love with him. And I wanted to read a quote really quick to bolster that up from Robeson himself that says, I didn't believe or understand that the sexual stuff that happened between Michael and I was abuse. I didn't feel like I was hurt by it. At that point it was, I loved Michael. Michael loved me. This was something that happened between us. That's it. But I still had absolutely no understanding that I was affected or any feeling that I was affected negatively. And as we know, both didn't even process that it was abuse until they themselves had baby boys. And until those baby boys started to grow up with the innocence that Michael Jackson claimed drove everything he did, was to suck vampiristically the child's innocence that he was molesting and raping, that innocence shone through with their own children. And they thought, holy shit, I was this age when Michael Jackson started to groom me so key. Of course I didn't accept this.
0: Yeah. It's so key. I mean, people, and I think this is also something that you know bring, comes to mind when you talk about Macaulay Culkin and Corey Feldman. Both of them do not have children of their own. And Corey Feldman has even conceded recently, after he came out and said that Wade and James are lying, they're doing this for the money. He actually came out after that and said, I can no longer defend Michael Jackson. I don't. I can't say these people are lying. All I know is that Michael Jackson didn't abuse me, but victims need to like be able to speak out. I mean, he's kind of a scam artist. He tried to do a Kickstarter for a documentary where he said he was going to expose the Hollywood pedophile conspiracy for $10 million. Mm-hmm. So it, he's not to be trusted, but here's the thing.
1: But also people point to him as a debunking thing, and they're like, well, if he, why won't he come out and say it if he was molested by other people in Hollywood? Why is he defending Michael Jackson? And I've heard here's that as like a source of debunking, yeah.
0: Michael Jackson was took his time with these kids. He took his time and groomed these kids over, in some cases, like months. There's there's an evidence. I don't even think in the trial for the I want to say the second victim, the cancer victim, he didn't try attempt to molest the kid until maybe like a couple of months or something. I could be wrong on that, but he was very strategic about this. So, and I and I hate to be graphic myself, but. If he really did have this compulsion, which it obviously seems like he did, it's very obvious in retrospect. And he even told Wade, the first time he performed oral sex on him was when he was asleep. So
1: yeah, that's a really disturbing. So part. let's
0: let's just explore that a little bit. Corey Feldman, Macaulay Culkin are sleeping in Michael Jackson's room. You know, they eat all this candy, drinking all this soda. They pass out. Later on, Michael Jackson apparently started plying his victims with alcohol. Seems like that's when he was going on the decline. His fame was not as big. His looks were going away. So he maybe needed to do that. But originally, maybe he just the candy and the ice cream and running around at the theme park was enough to get these kids passed out enough. Or even if they don't remember being molested, how do you know you weren't if you were sleeping in his bedroom? So you would never really know. That should have at least sunk in a little bit for Feldman and Culkin already. Right. But I think... I mean, and also, this is gross to talk about, but the likelihood that Michael Jackson was just, like, erect the whole time he was always hanging out with kids is pretty high. And that he was basically just, like, edging himself the whole time. Even if he didn't even get to make sexual contact with the kid, like, the first night they slept over... You're telling me that he didn't like go into the bathroom and fantasize about what he was going to do with the... I mean, the whole thing revolved around his desire to have sex with children.
1: Even Wade says, he says, I have a hard time believing there's not many more victims because I have a hard time believing he kept little boys around him for the sake of anything other than abusing them. Even if he didn't touch them, he was still
0: sexualizing them in his mind. He was still getting turned on by being around them. So Macaulay Culkin... You know, his sworn up and down, he wasn't touched. He's even laughed it off on the Larry King show saying, you know, most people don't realize Michael Jackson's bedroom is like two stories. There's like a separate entrance <laughs> and like a ladder, like going into the back. And it's like a guest room. I mean, when you're sleeping yeah, in Michael Jackson's room, it's got like its own bathroom. You have like two bathrooms. You what know, did that
2: I- Nothing happened, you know. Nothing. I mean, nothing really. I mean, we played video games, you know. We we you know played Sleep it in some amusement park. Well, the thing is, the thing is with that whole thing is that you know they go, oh, you slept in the same bedroom as him. It's like I don't think you understand. Michael Jackson's bedroom is two stories, <laughs> and it has like like three bathrooms and this and that. So when I slept in his bedroom, yeah. But you have to understand the whole scenario. And the thing is with Michael, is that he's not very good at explaining himself, and he never really has been because he's not a very social person.
0: Very just like defensive about it, but. There is a witness who was bringing food to the arcade while Macaulay Culkin was sleeping there um, and who witnessed Michael Jackson putting his hands down Macaulay Culkin's pants while they were playing an arcade game together. So that's that. I think that actually made it into um, like sworn deposition. Macaulay Culkin, of course, denies that, though, and he testified in Michael Jackson's defense just like Wade Robeson did. Maybe he wasn't touched, by Michael right. Jackson, maybe he doesn't remember being touched, but you're, but for him to be so naive and ignorant, I mean, at some point he has to admit to himself that Michael Jackson was fully sexualizing me and it, I was like his little prize, like sex toy, even if he did, even if I don't remember him touching me.
1: The whole debunking thread of this documentary, which really is a house of cards, uh, it's, it's completely based on nothing. Um, but Robeson defended Michael Jackson during the 2004 trial in which he was charged with sexually abusing then 13-year-old Gavin Arviso. Um, Robeson also testified in Jackson's defense in 1993 when he was 22 years old. So, of course, people are like, that's insane. Why would he ever do that? Um, obviously, if you understand what we're talking about and what he explained himself, which is I did not think of it as abuse. And again, the the coaching and grooming for almost two decades from Michael Jackson, telling him like, I will go to jail. You will go to jail for the rest of our lives. You will like, I will be ruined. And the guilt that went along with thinking that you could actually bring down who you felt was a God and this figure that you loved. Of course, you're not going to do that. I mean, I was even impressed that James didn't testify. And and felt like he couldn't do it again.
0: Not not to to disparage him in any way, but I mean he still was complicit in the sense that he didn't say anything. I know. He just I know, remained I know. silent, you know.
1: And poor Gavin, this guy was a cancer victim. That's what's so disgusting is Michael Jackson made himself seem like a make a wish foundation in one person. It was mm-hmm. like, I can grant children's dreams and come to Neverland Ranch. And so this kid who was a cancer patient. Was one of the kids that that came out um, and was found, you know, who wasn't awarded anything because Michael Jackson was found not guilty. And this kid probably is uh, has a really tough life now um, after not getting not getting any support from people who actually knew he was telling the truth at that time. And I mean, they have regrets about it, too. They say, I wish that I was ready. Like, I regret so much not getting his back. Like I I was him you know and i didn't stand up for him and in fact i helped michael jackson get off i mean that must be a really awful thing to live with
0: yeah because how many especially cuz how many other victims that were there how many other victims are there who still don't even feel like they were abused and who are you know might not even have come to terms with it yet if they took so long to come to terms with it you know it's it's just insane to think how long he was doing this how it was his main thing, much more than music was. And I know the whole other side to it, too, is just how many people protected him and enabled him.
1: I mean, the most fascinating part of the Martin Bashir documentary, you need to watch this, too, to really understand who Michael Jackson was, because Leaving Neverland doesn't really give you an insight. You know, he's only talking when he has that video that he releases to deny the allegations and it's creepy but this really gives you an insight on like who the hell really was Michael Jackson as a person and even though he's you know this uh, black icon and painted as one of the world's greatest entertainers and artists he can't even explain why he likes music why he does what he does every time he's asked about why he has a strange relationship with kids like I mean I could give a better explanation it's like yeah kids inspire me like these are the future leaders like he couldn't say any of that He's just, like, rambling about how children are God and their innocence is wonderful and how if children didn't exist, he would kill himself. But, like, he doesn't ever explain why children actually inspire him or inspire his music. It's all just very creepy, mealy-mouthed things that actually just make him look culpable and guilty as fuck every single time he opens his mouth. Like, even Martin Bashir, I mean, he's holding hands so tightly. Someone makes the point, like, do you ever see Michael Jackson being intimate with women. No. It's only just holding kids so close, right up against them, holding their hand, hugging them, embracing them. Um, And he's with this kid that that eventually accused him, Gavin, and he's holding his hand so closely next to him in this documentary. And Martin Bashir is just like, what is the sleeping situation? They've stayed in your bedroom. Well, very few.
2: But, you know, some have. And they say... Is that really appropriate for a man, a grown yeah. man, to be doing that? How do you respond to that?
3: I feel sorry for them because that's judging someone who wants to really help people. Why well, can't you share your bed? The, the most loving thing to do is to share your bed with someone. You really, know? You really think that? Yeah. Of so, course. You're taking the position that you use yeah. every single night that you go into. You sleep and you're sharing it with another He said, you can have my bed if you want, sleep in it. I'll sleep on the floor. You can, it's yours. Always give the best to the company, you know? Like, to him, I said, because he was going to sleep on the floor. I said, no, you sleep in the bed, I'll sleep on the floor. But haven't you got a spare room or a spare house here where he could have stayed? Yeah, but no, yes, we have guest units, but whenever kids come here, they always want to stay with me. (laughs) They never want to stay in the guest. And I have never invited them in my room. They always just want to stay. They say, can I stay with you tonight? I go, if it's okay with your parents, yes, you can.
1: And Michael Jackson contradicts himself several times, blatantly lies. Um, he always says, you know, it's between, yes, I sleep with kids, and then, like, no, I'm sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag. Yeah, Michael Jackson really slept on the floor in a sleeping bag. Like, does anyone believe that? Yeah. And then you can kind of see this kid reacting real time, clearly had been coached by Michael Jackson before he expresses himself. Not coached, and then you realize, well. like, because the kid is just, like, sharing your bed with someone is actually the most... You know, beautiful thing that you could yeah. do. He's like, this is a symbol of, of something that's really important. But then he also says, like, Michael Jackson told me, if you really loved me, you would get in the bed.
3: Sleep in the bed, sleep in the bed. We're like, no, 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 no. You sleep on you sleep on the bed. And then he finally said, okay, if you love me, you sleep <laughs> on the bed. I was like, oh man. And so I finally slept on the bed. But I, it was fun that night. I slept on the floor. Uh, was it sleeping bag? No, you, you packed the whole vessel, of blankets on the floor.
0: <laughs> yeah, you really love me. You'll get in the bed. And then and then uh, Michael Jackson was trying to present it like he meant I'm that he was floor. on the floor. I'm on the sleeping bag. Yeah, like that If if you get in the bed, I'm going to sleep on the floor. So you can't sleep in the same place <laughs> as me. But it was crazy because it was the part where he was getting the most nervous. You could tell Michael right. Jackson was getting the most nervous. He was almost like giggling out of nervousness, like hoping the kid was going to say the right thing. But I think the part that made him the most nervous was it revealed part of his grooming process that Michael Jackson didn't even really necessarily admit in public that he would hold over someone, a child's head, the idea of loving them. Like, if you love me, like even saying that in a teasing way, like parents, like you're not supposed to do that as a parent. You're not supposed to withhold, act like anything like that. You know, like that's bad. That's problematic language to use to deal with children and it's like if he's using that language regularly to talk to children it's all part of his grooming process his manipulation process so i think that that was a revealing moment too just for that he doesn't want people to know that he talks to kids that way he just wants people to know that he loves these kids and he sees the face of god in them apparently he thinks that that'll fly
1: michael jackson was also a pathological liar so for all of these naysayers, and there really is a kind of a cult of Michael Jackson defenders um, from this, even though the evidence is overwhelming, um, they'll say, oh, these kids are lying. The kids want money. So, yeah, of course, you can point to the fact that Wade did sue like the state for a ridiculous amount of money, yeah. $1.5 billion in 2013, like completely absurd. However, the statute of limitations for child abuse and for what he was um, trying to sue for w- had expired. So maybe yeah. it was a symbolic number. As we know, they would have, have to win a hotly contested court battle to even see a dime. Yeah. So I don't see how money is actually the deciding factor for them coming out and telling their stories as victims. But people will say, oh, they're lying. What about Michael Jackson? He is the most pathological liar I've ever seen. I mean, look at these interviews with him. You know, he says that he's never gotten plastic surgery and and um, that's insane, right? Yeah. And then he's telling Martin Bashir. Martin Bashir is just like Blanket's mother is white, right? Cuz Blanket was just born and, 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 and he says no. He yeah. says her his mother was black and he's like, "But she's so white." Like and Michael Jackson is like, "That's why they call us colored people because we're all different colors."
2: Would you have had would you have would you have conceived a child with a black woman? Of course, as a surrogate mother.
3: Of course.
2: But I've seen Blanket, and I think safe to say his mother was probably white.
3: No, you? you're wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: So Blanket's mother's black. Yeah.
3: But Blanket's so light. Black people were called colored people because we come in all colors, from very white as white as my
0: hand to very dark as the dark of your shirt. He did something strategic also when he went on Oprah I think in the very early 90s and said some half-truths to Oprah he said he only got like two surgeries in his whole life plastic surgeries because one because of the Pepsi fire commercial fire so there's like some weird thing about Pepsi commercials in him some darkness there I don't know if do you know about that that he got <laughs> no. like burned in a Pepsi commercial
1: what the fuck
0: you don't know about this no it kind of like was a way for him to reinvent his whole image after all the like, things started piling up against him, he went on Oprah and brought people back to this time where he actually caught on fire during the filming of a Pepsi commercial. There's video of it you can see online. And it, and it actually did burn him pretty badly. He claims the reason he started getting surgeries is because of the burns and he needed to get reconstructive surgery and it like ruined his scalp. Um, and then he also said that the reason why his skin looks the way it does is because he has vitiligo, which is like a skin condition that's like common among like African-Americans where you have discolorations where parts of your skin have very light discolorations. When Michael Jackson was a boy, he was a black kid. And now as an adult, he looks like a white man.
3: Well, you got to ask God that. That has nothing to do with me, okay? And what that's, you, that's what, ignorance. What do you
2: mean it's got nothing to do with you?
3: I don't control, you know, puberty. I don't control the fact that I have vitiligo. I don't control, you know...
0: Uh... And that somehow reinvented his image enough where, like, people kind of started to feel sorry for him again. And we're like, you know, maybe maybe he's not really lying about all this. Like, it it was weirdly worked on a lot of people. I mean, it was just... I'm just wow. thinking back to that.
1: I mean, the thing is, he became not only white, but ivory. Well, that's
0: the thing. It's like, vitiligo is random. It, it's like, it's splotchy. It doesn't affect you uniformly. So he obviously does some, did something, does something, bleach the rest of his skin. Actually, there is evidence that he does have it, which came out in the forensic evidence against him in the molestation allegations about his penis having discoloration on it. So he probably does actually have what he's talking about, it doesn't explain why he's all white. So, yeah, of right. course I mean, he's lying
1: that's about why, that. That's why the, uh, yeah, well, let's talk about that. the fact that um, the first victim who, you know, got paid off... Um, He got paid off $25 million from Michael Jackson, who claimed later that he just didn't want a big drawn-out court battle like the O.J. case. He just wanted to quietly pay this guy off, even though it was false, right? The problem is that the evidence against Michael Jackson was, again, overwhelming to the point that he had to pay the kid off $25 million and sign an NDA. That's why we probably haven't heard from this first kid. But because the kid perfectly described his erect penis with that disease, with the blotches— You know, And that's only something that uh, someone would know if they saw his erect penis. Now, people will debunk this and say, oh, the kid alleged that Michael Jackson was circumcised when a penis is erect. Um, It's hard to tell if a penis is circumcised. And plus the kid, again, perfectly described the blotches on Michael Jackson's erect penis. So I don't know how that keeps getting away from people who want to constantly try to debunk the overwhelming evidence that this kid did see Michael Jackson's penis. Now... One other quick comment about just you know he's a black icon and that this is racially motivated. Um, similarly to the O.J. Simpson case, that the defense used racial motivation to get him off. That was kind of the public perception that again you have a famous black celebrity who's being victimized by society. Um, yeah, and Johnny racist, Cochran. Yeah, jo- and g- there you go, Johnny fucking Cochran. And Mark Garagos, two O.J.s. What do you Garagos, know, do you know dude? He didn't want to be black. He wanted to be white. As fucking snow. And again, he used that to
0: spin shit. He made it sound like he constructed this image of himself that his dad, you know, damaged him so much that like he didn't want to look like his dad.
1: But it's like the fact that people are like, oh, he, you know, he had this black experience. He didn't have a black experience. I mean, he had a really crazy experience growing up as a child star, as a young black man. But he became the most famous, rich celebrity in the world. Yeah. How was that having a black experience? How was that going through the justice system in a racially prejudiced way? It was that he was able to like shroud himself in the notion that he was being racially persecuted, just like O.J. Simpson was to get off part of it, you know?
0: It's absolutely crazy. I mean, I mean, and the fact that he did that, I think that was even done for the civil trial, right? He didn't have Johnny Cochran for the actual criminal trial.
1: I'm not sure about that.
0: I don't think so. Yeah. So it was like actually not that long after the OJ shit went down. So it was just an odd choice just optically to do that. But, you know, going back to the idea that they're doing this for the money because they're suing the estate. Okay. Let's buy into that argument just a little bit. Even if that's true, can't both be true that. If it's not just a symbolic thing where they want to have their day in court to put this on the record and get it off their chest, like they say, and they do want money, why why can't it be both be true that they want money from this and they were actually abused by Michael Jackson? It's just so funny to me that it's people act like it has to be one or the other, too. Oh, totally. I would want oh, totally. money if I was mo- uh, right. mo- molested by Michael Jackson for seven years. You yeah, know?
1: dude, and the fact that the Jackson estate has the most... To lose here. They have been grifting off Michael Jackson's legacy, his music, his catalog for a decade now. They have made $2 billion since he's died. They are the most powerful entity by far. They have um, uh, PR agencies, they have kind of black operations style sock puppet accounts that are um, employed to correct the record online. It goes so far because think about it they have the most to lose to discredit these men. They are the ones with the money. They're the ones with the billions of dollars. They don't want you to know the truth because they have everything to lose.
0: Well, yeah, and also not just, yeah, everything, not just money for them, but also just like their family legacy. I mean, and but, but on the other hand, it's like they only really have Michael and, and themselves to blame because they protected and propped this up for years and years. They knew all about this operation that Michael Jackson was running and they looked the other way. And apparently only the mother um, you know, and LaToya, well, the mother didn't go on record, but only the mother and LaToya apparently are the ones who like raised a stink about this behind the scenes to the rest of the family. So the rest of the yeah, family LaToya. just was willfully blind. They acted like it wasn't a problem, that all he did was just hang out with little boys and have them spend the night feeding off his wealth. So they're fully complicit, fully complicit.
1: Yeah, LaToya, this is insane. And of course, people are like, well, she's recanted it now. Well, they have a lot to lose again. But back in the 90s, um, LaToya was interviewed several times during the first civil trial, how she thought Michael Jackson was a pedophile. She said, quote, Michael's my brother. I love him a great deal, but I cannot and will not be a silent collaborator of his crimes against small, innocent children. Um, I fuel the guilt and humiliation these children are feeling if I remain silent, and I think it's very wrong. Michael needs help. This has been going on since 1981. It's not one child. Um, she talks about the exorbitant fees that he's paid out to. She alleges several children. She said it fits into a larger pattern and um, that he's bought the silence with very, very large sums. And she ends by saying, now, now you stop and think for one second, and you tell me what 35-year-old man is going to take a little boy and stay with him for 30 days straight? And take another boy and stay with him for five days in a room and never leave the room. How many of you are out there are 35 years old? How many of you would let this happen? Um, and then following this, she was ostracized reportedly by her parents, Michael and other siblings. And then later, after Michael died, and you see the same thing with Martin Bashir, he kind of came out in like this weird guilt complex where he was like, I feel bad. Yeah. about what I did with my documentary and Latoya oh, apparently felt so bad too. Yeah. Well, you know yeah. why
0: he's part of why he said that is because apparently his career like took a dive. People like like ruined his career at the time. I mean, I don't know much about what happened to Bashir afterwards, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean Latoya. the The thing about Latoya is really interesting because a lot of people have just assumed she's like crazy or something. But if you actually listen to what, you know, you listen to that quote you read and listen to her the whole interview, she sounds very lucid. Mm-hmm. Um, she drops several breadcrumbs. She actually holds back a lot. She doesn't say that Michael Jackson's a child molester. She's sort of putting the warning out there. And she also drops breadcrumbs, revealing that the mother in the family was really alarmed about what she thought was going on and that the mother thought that it was, it just meant that Michael was gay apparently. And that the mother had seen a lot of these checks paying off children's parents. This actually sort of ties back to corroborating evidence that's didn't come out in leaving Neverland specifically, but came out in interviews with the brothers trying to say leaving Neverland was all bullshit. So the brothers were actually asked in an interview recently was there anyone in your family who was trying to talk Michael Jackson out of doing these sleepovers just because of how bad it looked? And Jermaine actually sort of, I think he let slip that the mother would talk about it. Kind of goes back and corroborates what LaToya was saying.
1: That's interesting because in the Louis Theroux documentary, when he finally interviews Joe Jackson at the end of it, and Joe Jackson, he brings up, like, do you want to see Michael settled down with a with a man or a woman, with yeah. a partner? And they get, they end the interview, essentially. I mean, he's just like, how dare you allege Michael's gay? What do you mean by partner? He he even like slips and says he doesn't like boys. Um, It seems like there's a lot of homophobia and hostility to the notion of homosexuality in general with that family. And so um, it was just really weird. It was like, I didn't know if it was just an anti-gay sentiment or if they actually knew of something. And that's why he slipped and said the boys thing. Did Did you get that?
0: Um, I didn't. I didn't catch the thing where it flipped and said boys, but I did find it very. First, I was like, well, they're Jehovah's Witness, and maybe they're just like really anti, you know, homophobic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's really ingrained. But the more that I thought about his response, and if the mother apparently also would say things like Michael's a guy, f- yeah, apparently to Latoya, this also came in another interview.
4: What kind of evidence do you have? that your brother did in fact sexually abuse these young boys? I,
5: I want you to know that there aren't really any evidence. The only thing that I know of, and my mother has actually shown me these things, she's the one that was outraged and brought them to me, that were checks that were written to the little boy's parents. And there are two checks that I know of that she has shown me, and it's up for a substantial amount of money. And she was outraged over it.
4: How much money, and what, and are you certain you know what these checks were for? Let's say, that Michael, I, I don't know
5: what they were for, but I know they were they were written to the parents of the little boys that would sleep over.
4: You're just assuming then that it's hush money. Did your mother ever tell you that this money was being given to the alleged vict- the, the uh, parents of the alleged victims to keep See, them that, quiet? That's, what,
5: that's why I can't say that it's hush money. Apparently, it was given for some reason. I don't know why, but I do know that she was outraged during that particular time. This is around 84, mind you. And she would say things like, I can't stand this. He's nothing but a fag. I can't stand this. And I would say, Mother, don't say that. Just because you see a check doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean anything. But basically... And that's the way she, and that's the way she took it. Now to this day, she denies it because she has no support. In other words, if, if she were to go and tell the truth, Michael would drop everything and she would probably be out on the street. So she has to stand by in that way. But the only reason I'm speaking up is because I'm an abused victim and I don't want to see anyone else hurt like that because I know what it feels like to be hurt.
4: But basically, it, I'm sorry, Latoya, I was going to say basically because of these checks shown to you by your mother and the fact that Michael, you do you know for sure that he
5: spent 30 nights
4: with this alleged victim?
5: I do know that he would have boys over all the time. One, of course, and they would stay in the room for days. Then they would come out and then there would be another boy and he would bring someone else, but never two at a time or anything like that. Um, Let me ask you a question, what 35 year old man do you know that sleeps with little boys and stays with them for a week or two weeks or whatever, and sleep in the same bed? I'm asking you this question because this is a valid question, it's very open. Because most people would say, well this is totally wrong, it's totally unfair. Yeah, most people might... And you know, what you have to remember is that, Jordy, I do not know this kid, I have never met this kid, I know nothing about him, but at the same time, I feel bad for him and no one's caring about Jordy. Jordy is in a very bad position.
4: What's your reaction to what your folks had to say, LaToya?
5: I didn't understand the fact that he was bothering little kids. I didn't understand why the checks were written. She was the one who was trying to explain these things to me.
4: You claim But that, now
5: she's denying it and covering it up.
4: You claim that the reason you're, you're, uh, your mom is siding with Michael is because...
0: It almost, to me, I, I read it as maybe they were in such denial about what was actually happening. They, they were so willfully blind that their brain couldn't process that he wasn't gay that he was a pedophile who only was sexually attracted to young boys. Right. So to them, it, the egregious thing would be that if he was gay.
1: Right, right, right.
0: Even the idea that just getting a wife and kids would fix his image is an odd strategy because that was never, especially in the 90s, people stopped thinking that he might be gay to he might be a child molester or a pedophile. What did LaToya mean by... This has been happening since 1981. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really does raise the question of how many other victims there are out there. I mean, it seems like he really always... If if the Terry George thing is to believe, be believed, um, that happened in 1979. And there's no right. reason to doubt it. Based on all the circumstances and the context of it, it seems totally legit. So when did this all start for him? I mean...
1: Well, and it's also weird that he he had sham marriages. It's like if he was this asexual being that didn't have sexuality and he couldn't relate to anyone, why why feel the need to have several sham marriages? Well, it, it First, shows that there was Lisa a narrative Presley. There was right. a
0: narrative that was being cultivated and it was shifting based on what the needed allegations. to be put up there to defend his behavior at the time.
1: Right, and it was just so obvious. It's like, compare Michael Jackson's interactions with the young children that he was parading around the world. Mm -hmm. Compare that to Lisa Marie Presley, the most awkward, cringeworthy photo op slash video that they did to pretend that they were actually having sex. And it's just bizarre, like completely bizarre. Um, You know, of course, you had the maid and stuff corroborating that Lisa Marie never even spent the night. Their marriage, I think, barely lasted a year. Um, the maid claims, and she did this really amazing 60 Minutes uh, interview recently that we can put on the timeline as well. But she talks about just really uh, horrifying details that aren't outlined in Leaving Neverland. But she says that she thinks that Michael Jackson just wanted access to Elvis's back catalog, just like he bought the Beatles catalog. And um, oh, that's why she says the, that there's the sh- like that he yeah, chose her. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, and she thinks that
1: Lisa really liked him, but like he just had no sexual feelings toward her at all.
0: I mean, there's an interesting connection to the cycle of abuse there, too, because, you know, Lisa Marie Presley is the daughter of Priscilla and Elvis Presley. And Priscilla and Elvis Presley first met each other when she was 14. And that's when they fell in love. Maybe not as egregious as molesting and, and raping young boys when you're a grown man, but still odd that Elvis, that it was actually even more normalized back then where like a grown man oh, could get together. Totally. And apparently he used to feed her amphetamines and sleeping pills while she was nice. like going to high school and have like a car drive her to high school and pick her and drive her back home. So, wow. I'm not saying Elvis was technically a pedophile or anything like that. It's just interesting. How, you know, some of the biggest stars in this century or the previous century were sexual predators.
1: And like had normalized, normalized and conditioned society to think that this was okay. And they were put on a pedestal to make it okay because their fame superseded their crimes. Um, and Michael Jackson told James and Wade that he was going to have a series of relationships with women in the public eye, and he said those are not going to mean anything to him, that he hates women. He actually hated women. This is a current that you see also in their testimony and a lot of other witnesses, that he actually detested women. He said women were evil, Um, and so yeah, that just goes along with how much he didn't you know it, it was all fake to the point where it must have been really painful for him to even pretend like he uh was sexual with women
0: it's it's hard to say if he ever actually had sex with any women it's just so weird and it's so obvious i mean even if the kids didn't reveal that it's so obvious that that's what he was doing i mean even i remember even people commenting at the time of how fake everything seemed especially that music video with them
1: yeah i mean looking back on it it's like you know, all of these things kind of seem like symbolism and like allegories now, like the, you know, thriller, him turning into a monster, the bad thing, smooth um, criminal. Like that smooth criminal. I mean, all of these things just seem so bizarre looking back on it. Well, they're um, like someone... almost like
0: cartoonishly allegorical if all of this shit's right. true. And it seems so right. obvious that it is true. You almost have to think, wow, this is all strategic. Or a reflection of his desire to have sexual children.
1: Even in Moonwalker, the jukebox that he's dancing in the middle of doing the crotch grabbing, Peter Pan, the Pied Piper, is lining the jukebox, which means that there's obviously like hidden symbolism that he directed artistically to groom children. Wait, I don't, in the movie Moonwalker? Yeah.
0: Wait, tell me again, because I don't remember the scene. We've watched that movie like, does it? See, that oh, yeah, was, no, it was, I think, our bonding moment over Michael Jackson.
1: Oh, incredible movie, um, the claymation and stuff. It was a really one of its kind. But yeah, there's a scene in it that it's zooming into a jukebox of him dancing. And there's the Peter Pan Pied Piper all lining the jukebox. Um, and that is really interesting. And I hope more people find more kind of hidden symbols that he put to groom kids. Because... And, and as we know, even the Simpsons had to pull an episode that Michael Jackson guest hosted because he used the entire episode, they allege, as a grooming mechanism. In the episode, Michael Jackson befriends Lisa and Bart and, you know, does what he does best, which is befriending little kids. And they said they actually are looking back on it. They're like, he used us to groom more boys. Yeah. And he probably showed kids that episode, you know, when he when he had them over for sleepovers.
0: I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the video game itself shows him rescuing. It's like one of the things you're supposed to do in the game is you have to rescue all the children from each level. I mean, the the, the movie it's based on, I was going to say, you know, I posted this thing on Facebook saying, is this sort of a uniquely American psychology that one of our most famous beloved stars did this and we can't even the people who acknowledge it's fucked up that he slept with boys you know it's still not commonly accepted that he was a serial pedophile who we're still on in mass denial about it and i just sort of wondered out loud is this sort of a uniquely american thing and several people said no it's not Amer, you know american and the more i thought about it i guess the reason why it seems like it is part of sort of almost like the american empire baby Syndrome mm-hmm. that we talk about so much is because Michael Jackson used the narratives from our childhood, a lot of the propaganda narratives as well, to basically make a film to really sell this image of himself as being a savior of children. The actual, so, Moonwalker is a bunch of vignettes that are basically music videos and like original little vignettes connected by a larger storyline where Michael Jackson is at, I guess, Neverland Ranch at the beginning. He's like in a grass field playing with a bunch of kids, like playing tag with a bunch of children in the movie. Uh, They go to this city, and a bunch of the kids get accosted by uh, a bunch of drug dealers uh, ran by a gang lord, Joe Pesci. So in this movie, it's kind of a very like Reagan-era movie in a way. He's saving the kids from like this evil drug gang, You know, that's taking over the city and corrupting everybody and trying to give drugs to kids, which is like something that no one really ever did, like giving drugs to literal children. It was just such a weird 80s Reagan era thing. And here he is selling the idea that he's a savior of children in this movie. He's like
1: giving candy to babies, (laughs) candy to kids. Yeah. And then he's
0: fucking morphing into a robot, like a transformer, protecting the kids. And then the video game based off of that is like super popular. It gets bundled with the Sega Genesis. I mean... This was all on some level grooming, strategic grooming. I mean, and it's really, I hate to use the word impressive, but if his goal was to m- assault children and to be able to get away with it in plain sight, it was an impressive level of coordination and willpower to make all this stuff come into to existence. I mean, I, it's unbelievable, actually.
1: So one interesting thing about the Louis Theroux documentary was showing how rabid and fanatical his fans were and are. So if you go on social media, like I tweeted something about leaving Neverland the second that I saw it, and I was like, there's no doubt, this leaves absolutely no question that Michael Jackson was a serial pedophile or serial child molester more accurately. And I got a lot of backlash. I would say the vast majority of people were saying, um, a lot of people just said blatantly, like it's false, these kids are lying. It was pretty heated And then I kind of realized that there is a domination on social media of Michael Jackson defenders, cultists, um, people who will die before they admit that Michael Jackson was a pedophile and did rape children. And that was an interesting insight from the Louis Theroux documentary was seeing kind of an insight on who the fans are. Um, And a lot of them, it was just really bizarre. It was like a level of stardom that I have never even seen um, even though I've seen footage of the Beatles and people screaming and stuff at them, it was like Michael Jackson could look at someone and they could just like be heaving on the ground with body sobs. I mean, it was that level of star power that he had and the presence that he had over people. And I think that it is really, really difficult for people to wrap their mind around. And I, and I want to quote Safe Chuck himself that says people think his music's so great. So he is great. Um, And people grew up with him. He's been a star since he was a little kid. So to think that person is doing the worst possible things to kids, it's impossible for people to wrap their hands around. It's a really important point because it sheds light on why people are in mass denial about accepting this. It's kind of like once you accept this and you can no longer remove yourself and no longer have that cognitive dissonance, you have to open yourself up to that paradigm shift that we're talking about, that it's so much more beyond him. It's your family. It's your friends. It's your community. It's your soccer coach. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's yeah. something that we have to face.
0: Well, yeah. But it's and I mean, so
1: difficult to face it.
0: And I think it's also, it's just such a unique example. It's hard to compare it to other pedophilia, like in, inside your family or inside your home or mm-hmm. your church or whatever, because Michael Jackson was so dedicated to this and so good at it and ultimately so skilled in the whole operation and hiding it in plain sight and sort of almost making it seem normalized and doing it out in the open that he got away with it he he really did he might have been crushed internally emotionally by being outed and having like the public know and, and start talking and whispering about it but he, he got away with it. He didn't go to jail. That really shows a high level of skill. A cunning criminal. Really. I mean, even just the idea of getting the parents involved in the first place and making them complicit in it almost makes it like the parents will have to out themselves if they find out any molestation is going on. It and puts, two of
1: the dads killed themselves. Yeah. Of the victims.
0: And I really think that that was part of the strategy. He wanted to almost make it almost in his mind, well, if I do it this way, then it's like legal. It's not like I'm taking the kid and sort of like sneaking him away from his parents into my room. It's like the parents are letting, literally letting the child sleep in my bed. So like, what are they going to tell the police anyway? It's Like, I almost wonder if he even had that conversation with himself a lot. Like, right. this is almost my buffer because... What, the parents will have to go to the cops and be like, well, wait, you let your kid sleep in his bed? It's almost like an impossible story to have, like, report right, to the police. Right,
1: right, right, right. I know, and that's why, and it seems interesting, like, the knee-jerk reaction is to be like, well, it's the parents' fault. People are more upset with the parents than they are at Michael Jackson by being like, well... Yeah. You know, they should have never put their kids in that situation, but, like, it's so clear to hear the parents themselves describe how they were also groomed.
0: And manipulated, yeah. I mean... I'm not making excuses for the parents but no. they definitely there was a high level of manipulation being done on the parents clearly I mean even just the idea that Michael Jackson I don't even know if James actually specified this you have to tell me if you did the part I found really interesting is Michael Jackson would come and stay at James Safechuck's right, house with right, his family right and pretend
1: yep and pretend like he had no friends that he had to go and actually just that's the only people that he yeah. can connect to. And eat eat
0: dinner with them, dinner that the mom would cook. And I don't know if James ever said that Michael Jackson molested him there. So no.
3: No. So no, it no. seems that like was just, that was just yep.
0: all strategic to get the family and like the mom said, it was like a fairy tale. Michael Jackson wanted to come spend time with us. <laughs> right. Just little old us. Like we didn't he didn't, you know, like we weren't special. It's it's expert manipulation. Is really what it is. And also,
1: the phone calls and faxes, like he would be on the phone with these young boys, seven, eight, nine years old, for seven hours at a time. Michael Jackson, the most famous, richest celebrity in the world, was calling these kids and talking to them for hours. And
0: writing letters, with calling them nicknames, telling them I love you in the letters. One story that I remember seeing in one of these random documentaries I was watching leading up to doing this podcast was... I think it was on the BBC a German fan. This is like a worldwide operation for Michael Jackson. <laughs> a German child fan Michael Jackson nicknamed and he used to send him letters saying like I can't wait to meet you Bubba Rub. You know, I love you Bubba Rub.
2: Young Michael Jacobs Hagen went home to Germany. But Jackson didn't forget his new friend. Jackson continued courting Michael from the other side of the world with tenderly worded notes and letters. Uh, one of them is uh, from Neverland. What he sent it to me, this was after 1998. He writing, Michael, I truly miss you very much. Thanks for your loyalty and support. I wait for you at Neverland all my love always Michael Jackson. How many of these letters did he send you 30 35. Those letters culminated in an invitation to join Jackson on a leg of his history world tour. When did you first spend your night on your own with Michael Jackson? This was in 1998. Would there be any contact between his body and your body? Yes. I mean, we was together, our bodies was together. I was on this side and he was behind me and he put his arm around me. Pressed up against you. Yes. W- was there ever anything sexual that happened between you? The bodies together, you know? The bodies that's why he also my rabba rabba friend, you know. I mean What does that mean? Rabba Rabba is that you put your two bodies Together, you know? As in rubbing up against each other. Yes, this is exactly what, what is Wubba, Wubba.
0: In And he actually gifted this boy a book that was all naked pictures of young boys and cy- autographed it Michael Jackson. Mm. In this book, Michael Jackson also circled the buttocks of a young boy, naked young boy, with an arrow drawn pointing towards it.
2: What sets Michael's claims apart from all the others is that he has physical proof to back up what he is saying. There's a book uh, called The Boy. This is a book with naked boys, completely naked boys inside. And this is what he gave it to me as a present. This was one of the pages here. What does that say? Um, to Michael, Michael J., my friend, your rabba rabba friend, MJ.
0: There's just so many, many other examples, and this German fan hasn't even really made that big of a deal about it. Like, as he's showing the reporter about it, he's not like, oh yeah, like, I got freaked out after this. He kind of insinuates that he could tell Michael Jackson was sort of testing the waters to try to see where things would go, but he doesn't ever really, like, he doesn't seem that upset about it even really. There's so much evidence out there that, and even if you don't believe he molested the kids, why was he sleeping with the kids in his bed? Why was he rotating all these kids out? Why was he manipulating these families? Why was he paying them off? Even just that's just really bizarre behavior.
1: Why did he want to make a, a children's day together with Rabbi Shmuley? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Holy shit! Rabbi Shmuley, it's an
1: insane story. Yeah,
0: became his spiritual advisor, I guess, and towards the end of his life. Um, and I heard a, a, actually an interesting statement by a psychotherapist who's like an expert in childhood sexual abuse recently. And someone was like. Well, what do you have to say to people who are like, Michael Jackson was like the nicest person ever. He doesn't have a mean <sighs> bone in his body. He was just so nice and so kind and had such a big heart. And the, the, the therapist said, well, there's a big difference between nice and kind. Kind means that you have empathy for someone. You care about someone. It reflects like values that you hold. Nice is a behavior behavior. And it could be superficially used by predators mm. and criminals mm. who are very smart criminals are often very good at acting nice. It is a behavior. A lot of people, and and you could even speak to this, Abby, like I think both you and I still sort of have this issue where like, it's like if someone's being really nice, it's like almost like your default response is like, well, I don't want to be mean. So if I'm like not equally nice or I don't sort of feed in, you know, or like, match them on their niceness then somehow I'm being mean and predators can take advantage of that dynamic so it's almost like Michael Jackson you could see that characteristic playing out in the way that he interacted with children just from that little well, snippet from the yeah. best year documentary well if you love me you'll sleep on the bed
1: if you love me you sleep on the bed Yeah, that manipulation I mean, it's absurd. It's absurd to think that pedophiles would be mean or that you would somehow know who's a pedophile or who's a child molester. Obviously, this many kids wouldn't be getting molested and raped by child molesters if they looked like child molesters, if they acted like child molesters. I mean, of course they don't. Have you seen abducted? that's, That's precisely the point. No, I haven't seen that. I've heard that that's a great accompaniment to Leaving Neverland, though.
0: Well, I saw it before I saw Leaving Neverland. I think it really helped because the parents were even more monstrous in that movie like way mm. worse i mean the worst mm-hmm. like I, at a certain point mm-hmm. in the documentary it was like screaming at the tv and i'm oh not going to go into the way they acted but there was very interesting parallels to the grooming because basically this family friend groomed both of the parents by getting both of them to get in sexual relationships with him first and then kidnap the daughter and like groom the daughter into thinking that she was part of some kind of destiny alien abduction plot where she was going to birth a new race of like savior human beings wow. with him. Wow! And even when he and would he have the stuff se- as blackmail, right? And even when he would have sex with her, she was like a twelve year old girl, and he was a grown man. He wanted to make sure that it felt good for her, and like wouldn't fully penetrate, like very concerned that it didn't hurt. These some of these pedophiles, they don't come off as these people who are pushing you up against the wall or assaulting you. I mean it, it right. So I think that's psychologically people, you know, most people just aren't aware of that how that dynamic plays out and how it can be very confusing, especially if you've buried a lot of this these traumatic memories, and how it can be very confusing to come to terms with that, especially if it wasn't physically painful.
1: Just like um I don't know if you saw the tail on HBO, I wouldn't recommend it. It's just it's just intense. Um, in a different way, but Laura Dern plays Jennifer Fox, who was the director, and she it's about her sexual assault as a child, but the movie begins with her a lot more mature-looking because that's how she reflected on the relationship because just like Wade and James, she didn't understand that she was actually abused and raped by her coach. Um, she thought that they were just in a special, loving relationship, and so it's really interesting to see her. This is how she portrays what she thought it was, and this is how it really was. And then it like shows her then as what she really looked like. And it was like a pre pubescent young girl, you know, 12 year old girl who hadn't reached puberty yet. And it's really disturbing. It's again, just the grooming and the fact that she never understood it was abuse. And she always just thought it was a special relationship with an older man and how it really destroyed her life. But it's really, I think it's just an incredibly important component to me too. Um, it opens the conversation to something that's so crucial for us to discuss considering one of four young girls are sexually assaulted and one in six boys are sexually assaulted. Talking about pedophilia and just child molestation on a, in a general sense, um, less than 5% of men are born with this. Um, and people who experience abuse in their childhood Doesn't it doesn't see this is a this is a problem, too, that we kind of excuse this behavior because we're like, oh, all of them are victims of abuse themselves. And there's just a cycle of abuse. That's not true. Um, People who experience abuse in their childhood, it does make it more likely to act on pedophilic urges. But in general, this is not caused by abuse as children. Um, There is something to say about the fact that women do not grow up to be pedophiles. Or women are not born pedophiles. So there is some sort of weird genetic thing with men. I don't know if it's in part societal upbringing or the conditions of our society. I, I don't know if it's greater than mental illness, but it is not the same with women.
0: Yeah, and I also think we should make the distinction between the, the word pedophile and and what people generally understand as a child molester because a pedophile means someone who is sexually attracted to children. A lot of pedophiles actually don't act on their urges. They could have these feelings, and that could be their sexual preference, but not act on it. A child molester, generally speaking, is someone who engages in the act of child molestation. They might not even be a pedophile. It could just be someone who is a deranged, fucked up person, who takes advantage of a young, vulnerable child um, out of some opportunistic situation. So there is a distinction to be, to be made between the two, but it seems like Michael Jackson was definitely, on some level, both. both. I mean, but he was a very strong pedophile to the point where his entire life revolved around his desire to have these sexual relationships with young boys,
1: Right. Like not an
0: exaggeration at all.
1: Right. And I don't know if anyone has had people in their lives who you found out had molested children, but I have. And it was, uh, again, a big paradigm shift to me because this guy that I knew in San Diego uh, did not look like a pedophile. He didn't act like a pedophile. We always just thought it was weird that he didn't have girlfriends because he was attractive. He was talented. Um, and a lot of girls liked him and he was always kind of asexual acting. And then I've come to find out he's in prison for oral copulation with a child under 10. But it it is a paradigm shift in a lot of ways, because again, it's not obvious. You don't look at someone. You're like, Oh, I, I can't trust him. He looks sketchy. Um, he looks like he would molest a kid. No, that's not the way it works. And for people who are saying, Oh, why did it take so long for these kids to come out? They must be lying. Um, This woman, who's the chief public affairs officer, Kristen Hauser, from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, says, It's completely normal. Adults who sexually abuse children intentionally confuse them, mixing up messages of love and friendship and abuse. The confusion can and does last long into adulthood. Um, another nonprofit called Darkness to Light that empowers adults to prevent child sexual abuse notes that only 38% of child sexual abuse victims disclose the abuse when they're children. Only 12% of child sexual abuse is ever reported to authorities. Take that in mind. And it really makes you kind of understand you know, we, we discuss these kind of large abstract notions about social justice and progressivism and wanting to make the world a better place. And like this shit's happening in our back fucking yard, in our own families, in our own homes, in our own lives. Um, and what does that do to a society? What does that do to an individual? What does that do to their extended families? What does this rampant abuse do? And our inability to have these discussions And also the ability to discuss that pedophilia is a psychiatric disorder um, and that people need help. You know, this is something that we should have open discussions about because there there are resources available for people who have this. Of course, the people who aren't monsters and who won't act impulsively on, you know, (laughs) and become child molesters. I mean, it is a thing. And the guilt and the shame can really destroy lives as well for people who don't act on these pedophilic urges like you're talking about. And so all of these things need to be discussed. We need to have resources available in our society. We need to have an open forum and discussion about this. Otherwise, it's not going to change, ever.
0: We just have such a a warped view of sex still in our our Mm -hmm. society that I don't even really know. You know, it's going to be a while before... We can properly tackle this, but yeah, hopefully things like this, the subject material that this documentary is revealing will, will help educate people a little more on the nuances of this. There's just really no reason why a grown man would come out and and make something like this up. Right. Even if there is a lawsuit, I mean, you can't, it's just such a bullshit argument to say, well, they're only in this for the money. Civil litigation is a powerful tool. If I was sexually abused by someone for seven years, I would want to sue them, too, if it was beyond the statute of limitations or they were already dead or whatever. I mean, yeah. So,
1: I mean, the last thing I'll say to wrap it up is I thought it was just really strange that the Defend Assange, like the Assange defense team, actually directly responded to me. You know, here I am in minding my own business, talking about leaving Neverland, and they just responded to me directly, being like, documentaries, I don't even have the tweet pulled up, but they were just like, documentaries can make you believe anything if they're one-sided, and like, basically alleging that Jackson was innocent And deciding to weigh in in kind of a really bizarre way, like, why are you guys talking about this when you should be focused on Assange's case? Like, why are you doing this? And then after they directly responded to me, clearly the same people running that account then posted from the WikiLeaks official account making their own statement about, you know, basically alleging that Michael Jackson's innocent. And I I found that odd considering the official WikiLeaks account didn't have a problem propagating Pizzagate.
0: Just another example of how it's just totally a total shit show. They didn't even mention anything about those like dark overlord leaks, but I guess they're more concerned about pushing Michael Jackson's innocence. It just seems like a strange thing to get invested in. I I don't know what the fuck's going on, dude.
1: Very strange, dude. Well, should we wrap it up?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess, um, you know, if you haven't gone and seen this documentary yet, go check it out. It's four hours long, but it's worth watching the whole thing. I mean, it's just really fascinating and it'll definitely shift some kind of, if you're open to the information and you believe what's being told on screen, you will, you will have some kind of paradigm shift. If your primary thought about Michael Jackson wasn't, he is a serial child molester.
1: And I'm sorry for not offering a trigger warning before we started this podcast. I, I We will in the description for anyone who was abused as a child or sexually molested or raped. And if you do need help, if you are a victim and you have not spoken about this, there is an abuse hotline, the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline and American SPCC that you can go to get more information and there are just vast communities out there with resources ready to help you and anyone that you know that is in a similar situation and you are not alone and people are there ready to embrace you and to provide the help that you need so please keep that in mind and thank you so much for listening you guys it was a doozy but anyone who's watched this I think will appreciate it
0: (laughs) you know what I mean one thing that this documentary sort of reveals is that these men didn't really come to terms with what had happened to them until until they started seeking out therapy. I mean it well actually specifically Wade. He had like a nervous breakdown, he went to a therapist and it actually took him, I think, something like over a year to finally start opening up about what what had happened between him and Michael Jackson. Don't don't hesitate going going to see someone especially if you have a health insurance, it'll pay for it. And there's a lot of uh, professionals out there who do things on a sliding scale. If you have to pay out of pocket and, and some very affordable ones out there as well. So that's always an option. And there's a lot of good resources in, in this country for, for mental health. It's just unfortunate that it co- most of the time costs money. Yeah. Thanks Absolutely. for listening. everybody.
1: Thanks for listening. Everyone please donate, or consider donating to us on Patreon, Dot com slash Media Roots radio, and we have some amazing stickers that I'm going to put um, as a Patreon gift
0: Thanks everybody, thanks for listening
1: Thanks dudes, bye